what's everyone doing at 4 in the afternoon on a Saturday in uh, Pennsylvania? Uh, fuck if I know. Probably getting drunk somewhere if there's a game tonight. Jesus. Um, I, I really don't know, actually. I'm I'm kind of a modern hermit. hermit. Mm. Oh, man. I can buy a transorbital lobotomy set off of eBay. <laughs> That's awesome. I would like to get your medical expertise on this movie. Oh, man. Lobotomies are something else, let me tell you. Actually, what you know, what happens to a lobotomized patient? At least, what did back in the early '60s when this film was supposed to be allegedly set? Well, so uh, the thing about lobotomies is, uh, and I'm sure Sharon could probably back me up on this. Basically, everything that makes you you, everything that makes you kind of a higher functioning being, is stored in your prefrontal lobe. And a well-performed lobotomy goes into a very specific portion of that and then deadens the tissue. If they do too much of that, you can lose basically everything that you would possibly even be able to identify as a personality or like a real anything, almost like your consciousness. You would just become this like automaton almost. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, if they were actually done right, it would be a very small bit that would – the original intent – was to alleviate the um, whatever the problem is. They, they would think, like, okay, well, we know the depression is in this part of the brain, so we're going to poke it with a stick. Mm. And uh, <laughs> it's... Of the essence of it, isn't it? Yeah. I, I think, I, I really feel like it's um, kind of an evolution it, of the old uh, trepanning. Trepanning. I was just mm. about to say it's a slightly more, like, with some science to back it up. Yeah, it's, they poked pins in people and worked out that with some people it worked. I think what what they managed to get it down to is if what you're trying to tackle is something like uh, uh, just a, a depression or um, something of that nature, then it's completely useless because you cannot possibly narrow that down to a specific location in the brain that anybody could target with any kind of a tool. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think where they've had some success with it is in people who've got very severe violent impulses that they can't control. Um, and they've tried medication and medication hasn't done any good. And then they've tried you know, damaging the connections in in where the violent impulse path exists and it's stopped the violent impulses. But as Lauren says, it's also very, very easy to damage something that then removes essential elements of what makes that person who they are. It's kind of the definition of imprecise. Because <laughs> yeah. the, the brain is like, – we still don't understand how the brain works. And uh, I was reading an article the other day comparing the world's biggest supercomputer to the human brain on raw computing power. And it's like one ten thousandth of uh, the computing power of the human brain is the best supercomputer we have on this planet, something like that. Uh, and to think that that's all just in the couple of pounds of meat in your head – well, it's mostly fat. But – um, the idea that to, to look at that and just be like, yeah, you know what? We kill this part. It'll totally make you better. And the fact that it just randomly did for some people, uh, I mean, that's super good and all, uh, there's, there's something to be said about the, uh, what is it? The old process of, uh, voodoo hoodoo, uh, zombie creation. Cause the tetrodotoxin would actually destroy parts of the brain, uh, through, somewhat suffocation and, and, and direct attack. And uh, it would basically be like a chemical lobotomy if it worked. Usually it just killed you, but yeah. 
and that's where zombies come from is you become this like living automaton where you will do what people tell you to do uh, on like an automated level because there's no person there. There's nothing there. Um, I can imagine tech support just coming down to look at your computer and going, right, let's see what I can do with this. Taking out a large spike, ramming it into your hard drive <laughs> and then going, right, I think that should sort it. And then just walking away. Yeah. yeah. I think as well. The There's whole, your computer fixed. Um, it, all you've got to go on with um, the, the, the success in very, very heavy inverted commas of lobotomies is um, – anecdotal results because most of them were done at a period in history where well let's say rigorous research techniques were not applied um do we have a control group of people that we didn't spike through the eye and are are incredibly violent well no we don't um and the ethics of doing a rigorous test these days would be horrendous why you know Mm. You'll never get that Under through an what IRB. circumstances yeah. would you be able to do that? You're talking maybe Dr. Sushong in uh, Bioshock might do rigorous tests. So Bioshock is an interesting touchstone because there is a lobotomy scene in yeah. the second half of yes. uh, expansion. And that's and why we aren't fucking doing that expansion. <laughs> yeah, that was an incredibly powerful and uncomfortable scene. It was an incredibly disgusting scene and I really didn't fucking need it in Bioshock and I don't want to ha- watch a, uh, a a a fucking spiky thing and all grazing the surface of my uh, not just my eye the the eye of a character that I really care about. And, and then it's like uh, you know what that whole thing stank of sucker punch. <laughs> and I just thought, fuck you. Yeah, that was that scene was definitely uncomfortable. And it's it's weird the timing too, because I never saw Sucker Punch in the theater, but I did see it like I, I bought the Blu-ray because I had heard it was so mm-hmm. uh interesting. And I had watched it maybe only a few weeks before playing Bioshock Infinite's expansions. Mm-hmm. I want to say I could be wrong on that, but I remember seeing that lobotomy lobotomy scene and just being like, "That's odd that these two things have happened so close to each other." Mm-hmm. Uh, but the other thing about lobotomies you have to keep in mind is most of the people who received lobotomies were people who were psychopathic, uh, very poor, and or women. So they like they were just swept into a sanitarium. Or, you know, just, just swept under the rug, so to speak, and nobody really talked about it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, fun. Yeah, this this is the least pleasant film I've had to talk about for an awfully long time. Um, and I can honestly say that I have liked it less every moment that I spent with it and every moment that I spent studying it. I actually, um, <clears throat> there was a point just after Bob Chipman had done his thing and then when we saw it for the first time that I kind of like Sucker Punch. And that moment is now far behind me. (laughs) Um, Welcome to School of Movies. (laughs) Sucker Punch. Bye.
Your ears do not deceive you. On this episode, we are going to try to either unpick the complex puzzle that is Zack Snyder's 2011 Ode to Feminism, or rail against an exploitative, filthy jizz fest from the mind of one of the most prolific, leering perverts working in the blockbuster movie industry today. With me is my wife and co-host, Sharon Shaw. Hello. And from A Year of Steam, our good friend, Mr. Lauren Greve. Hello there. Hello. Right, bear with me just one second. I just want to verify the second point. It was indeed 2011. I, I think so. That sounds right. Yeah, 2011. Okay. Um, now, in an experiment, I asked the internet if anybody truly got this film and yet hated it to write down why in eloquent terms. A lot of responses that weren't that. <laughs> I didn't get a single response that was that. <laughs> Now, I posited that if you hate it, you might not fully get it. And also, it might make you so angry that your response is loud and monosyllabic. Feminist frequency didn't quite meet three minutes with Anita Sarkeesian's disgusted response. Conversely, if you love it, you also might not get it. You might... I've I got a, lot, a couple of responses that were like, oh, it's just big, dumb fun. Okay, it is big, it is dumb, and it is fun, but it is not... Big dumb fun in the way that you mean it. Just laying it out there. I mean, by all means, you know, it's it's it's, it's deliberately open to interpretation uh, from Zack Snyder, um, but he intended it by you know by its very nature because a lot of other people are definitely not uh, interpreting it just as big dumb fun. It can't just be big dumb fun, you know. Because Big Dumb Fun is very dismissive and it's, it's very, you know, it's nature. Oh, uh, Pacific Rims, Big Dumb Fun, isn't it? Transformers, Big Dumb Fun, aren't they? G.I. Joe, Big Dumb Fun. Those films don't all go together in the same Big Dumb Fun bucket. If you hate it, you might not fully get it. If you love it, you might not fully get it. If you kind of like it and you don't quite get it, you might want to know more. If you get it completely, you might still kind of like it. But I don't know anyone who gets it completely and loves it or gets it completely and hates it. Or at least no one that I've spoken to yet. Uh, Lauren, would you say you loved it? Yes, actually. I think okay. I like it. I like it more every time I see it. Uh, okay. Which well, is probably <laughs> unfortunate. No no, 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 it's good because it means that we get to have some variety on this show because otherwise it's just, it's, it might end up being quite uh, repeating. We are going to try not to stamp on your balls. Uh, Lauren, if that well, helps. Good, I'm not paying you for it. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, we Hate Movies did a goddamn hilarious Sucker Punch Men Terry in which Andrew Jupin, who had never seen the movie before, got to watch it with his co-hosts who had. And we get to hear their raw responses. And I heartily recommend picking that up to add something to the viewing experience. Bob Chipman, on the other hand, took the road of deep cuts with interpretation filling us in with a two-part video on why its detractors are either angry for the wrong reasons or not seeing the secret brilliance. Albeit a brilliance so well hidden that it didn't just not stick the landing, as Bob says, it landed nose first and tumbled down the runway in flames, sending feminists and misogynists alike scattering in confusion, as well as everyone in between, on this multifaceted scale of appreciation of women's place in society at large. Again, that's a must-see. In fact, I pretty much recommend everyone stop listening right now to this podcast and go watch Movie Bob's You Are Wrong About Sucker Punch in two parts before you carry on. At least that way we'll all be on the same page. If you've never seen it, I envy you. If you've never seen it and don't feel like hopping on YouTube, 
and you just kind of want to know about it before you see it, and maybe you might never see it. Prepare for a dark descent here, people. This is twisted stuff, and the possibility of over- or under-interpretation looms large. But first off, let's start with the most clinical of synopses, so that everyone at least gets what story, on the surface, this film appears to tell. Uh, following that, I have some questions for my guests, which is going to make up the bulk of this podcast. Uh, now, I basically tried to boil it down to only what is important for what happens. I've tried to keep names to a minimum, I've tried to keep events to a minimum, and I've tried to keep action sequences that go on and on and on, like almost entirely unmentioned, because basically I've only put on what really matters in terms of what's actually happening on the surface. This is basically what happens in the real world. Let me know, folks, if I've gotten something wrong here, I mean, you guys in particular. We open with Baby Doll, a young girl who tries to defend her sister against their abusive stepfather and succeeds only in shooting and killing her sister. She is committed to a lunatic asylum and is about to be lobotomized, something her stepfather organized so that he could get his hands on the money. We cut to an alternate reality wherein the asylum is a brothel. Baby Doll and four other girls plot to escape the clutches of a cruel pimp named Blue, who was head orderly in the asylum reality. Their plan revolves around distracting men with sexy dancing at a burlesque show and stealing tools for escape while the men are drooling. These dances are represented to we the audience in a third layer of reality, where the girls fight orcs, dragons, steampunk Nazis, alien robots and demon samurai. The plan fails, one of the girls gets scared and squeals, three of them are killed, Baby Doll sacrifices herself so that the fifth girl can get away. We cut back to the lobotomy in the real world. Blue the orderly is dragged away while molesting the lobotomized Baby Doll. At the very end, the fifth girl succeeds in escaping and it is left to the audience to decide what that means. <sighs> <laughs> Okay, um, did I leave anything crucial out? And did I say anything that didn't need to be said? I don't think you said anything that didn't need to be said, but there's certainly many things to fill well, in the there's, there's a hell of a lot of nuance you can add to this. A lot of people will claim this film has no nuance at all, but there's a hell of a lot of um, uh, and then there's, which we can answer with all the questions that we've got coming up. I, I think in terms of the step one, step two, step three what actually physically happens on screen <clears throat> you've probably covered most of the basics there. that's the beats basically i mean basically everything else is things like she notices the key hanging around blue's neck ultimately that the actual the specificity of so much of this doesn't matter it's she gets committed to a lunatic asylum is about to be lobotomized at the very end the fifth girl succeeds in escaping and it is very deliberately by uh, snyder left to the audience to decide what that means Okay, right. So rather than going into like the whole let's interpret the film now, let's do it in order. Okay, so question one. Who is Baby Doll? Really? Baby Doll is Sweet Pea's guardian angel. Oh, God. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, Not yes. Not no, 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 no. You need to explain that. Okay, so the- <laughs> okay right. First off, to people who haven't heard it, Sweet Pea is this fifth girl. She is the sister of one of the girls who dies, whose name is Rocket. And she is the only one who doesn't really feel happy about uh, Sweet Pea's plan. She is the only one who doesn't seem to be in the asylum because she is 
mentally affected and in fact seems to be only there to look after and protect Rocket, something she fails to do. She's belligerent the whole time. She's the one that people don't want to escape. She's the one that escapes. So from your point of view on this one, uh, Lauren, Baby Doll is Sweet Pea's guardian angel. So Explain. So, so Sweet Pea is the main character of Sucker Punch. She's the narrator, she's the one who's relating the story, and she's ultimately the one who matters. Okay? So the the movie actually opens with a, narr- uh, a narration from Sweet Pea talking about guardian angels and you're never going to know what form they're going to come in. And it's uh, she specifically mentions it could be a young girl or it could be an old man. And uh, if you look at the film with Sweet Pea as kind of relating the the story of what happened and knowing that the asylum universe isn't strictly reality. Hold on. There's a train coming. No, no, it's okay. We can do it with trains. It's, it's all production value. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) See, there's super eight, a film I would love to be reviewing right now. Production value. It's super loud though. Holy crap. Train. That's what the film should have been called. Super loud. I saw that thing in IMAX. Oh my God. That would be super eight right now. I've never seen Super 8. Actually. Oh my god, it's good. Okay. Huh. I mean, this is no, no, just sorry. Oh my god, you haven't seen it. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> Not, oh my god, it's so good. I, I love it, but I don't expect everyone to love it. And there's uh, definitely some J.J. Abrams haters who don't. Certainly. I was going to say, there's. I've definitely heard varying things about Super 8. Mm, I love it. Uh, but anyway, what was I saying? Um, so, Sweet Peas relating this narration in the very beginning, talking yep. about guardian angels and you're never going to know what form they take. Yep. You and, said okay. And yeah. And I said that, okay. So where, so where was I before the train threw me off? Um, the train so, derailed my train of thought. So, um, from, from that perspective, the whole story is sweet peas. And the fact that ah. we get it from, uh, baby doll's perspective is irrelevant. The sucker punches. Actually, it was about sweet pea, the girl you don't like all that much. So if you if you think of, if you think of it as the whole thing being told from Sweet Pea's point of view after the fact in retrospective, uh, there's a lot of stylization that occurs for even the asylum world, which we're supposed to take as reality. But even that is stylized. Well, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. So S- Sweet Pea was party to the dreams within a dream there as in the samurai one the uh, world war one one so sweet pea would actually recount baby doll danced and while she was dancing no. this was emblematic of uh, a fight in the world war one trenches against steampunk nazis no 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 that is the film glossing over the depiction of the sexual assault that those are covering up was there a sexual assault while baby doll was dancing so the the burlesque show the the brothel and burlesque show is itself a an abstraction of the abuse that the girls are subjected to in the asylum in the real world but the asylum that we see isn't necessarily the real world uh, <laughs> we're trying to make it easier for these folks okay right tell you what let's let's go with baby doll is the guardian angel for the answer to that one question because i've got two dozen of these questions and we can uh, hone in and refocus every time I ask a new question. And if there's anything that's left unsaid at the end, by all means, we can discuss that at the end. Um, Sharon, who is Baby Doll before we carry on? I interpret it, I agree with Lauren about it being Sweet Pea being the central character. Um, Baby Doll, to my interpretation, is Sweet Pea's um, 
inner fighter, if you like. Okay, so what about when Sweet Pea was doing all that fighting? So, so the thing is, Alex, the <laughs> Do you mean in the dream scene? sequence? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, well that... Okay, basically, one of the things that frustrates me about the way Snyder delivers this is the fact that he splits the psychological aspects of his characters over and over and over and over again until you're left with hair-thin... Uh, elements. Okay. Well, nobody's answered, by the way, that why, why you know, if, if if Baby Doll is the inner fighter, is it the fact that everything, uh, the, the symbol, oh, the <laughs> symbolism of the dance that she performs mm-hmm. is her, how, how is that? That's her fighting. That's her basically um, defending herself against the um, battering pressures of the external world. Okay. Um, what is the asylum? <laughs> Honestly, I, the, the asylum is, 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 is the real world, right? The horrible, desaturated, colourless, rape-filled, assault-filled, sad, abusive, terrible hell of a real world. Right. The asylum you can take the asylum as the place that Sweet Pea locks herself up in out of guilt over something. It is important to note by the way that um Chipman pointed out that the when the film opens you get curtains on a stage which suggests that the asylum itself is, you know, is is one layer of reality and um we, the audience, are sitting in reality watching another layer of reality. Yeah. Here, here's the problem, folks. When you watch the, like, all of this, like, interpretation, I was like, ah, oh, this is in, 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 like, maybe in these layers. That, that's all great until you actually sit down and watch the video commentary. Lauren, have you watched that yet? I have not. Right. So <laughs> that might be the... It, uh... There's a lot of Zack Snyder going, okay, the, and, the, and, and here, he is in, here she is in the asylum, and the asylum is kind of kind of like reality and sort of like, you know, well, it's very much into, open to interpretation and like uh, Sucker Punch is very much like life and, and you're like, oh, fuck, you don't know what you're talking about. And it becomes blatantly apparent that there's two possibilities. Either A, he knows exactly what he's talking about and he is playing this up so as not to turn a stern eye towards his core audience and go, this is about the male gaze. This is about you guys. I don't want to personally insult you, but this this shit is a horrible black mirror, okay? And, you know, there's this, 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 and this point. That There's either that, and he's a really good actor, and he's really good at acting like, oh, it's kind of like, I don't know, kind of like sucker punch and shit. Or he really doesn't know what he's talking about, and he's basically sort of taking bits and bobs from what he's learned reading this and that or watching this and that, and he's sort of trying something, and because other people are sort of, like, working with him, you know it's like that thing where no one wants to be the dumb person in the room who doesn't get it, so they all start talking about, like, the higher possibilities of of what this could mean, Uh, and all of the actors asked to talk about it. Like, Carlo Gugino is like, yes, well, it's all kind of like this, that whole... um, the difference she between was, Freud and Jung, wasn't it? No, no, it? no. She wasn't talking about them in the same 
bit of conversation. She was right. a bit of the film she described as being particularly Freudian because of something that they did, and then later on she was yeah. talking about they had her the office aspects. decorated to look like Freud's office. Yeah. Well, that wasn't to do with what she was talking about. That was just something that they said later. Okay. But a lot of people were talking on this video commentary, which jumps about between people on the, on the production. One of the best moments was around about the time Rocket gets killed. Uh, I don't know whether it's the cinematographer. Basically comes on and just goes, and, and sort of just says, you know, it's not really up to me to interpret what Zach says. It's just kind of like ch- sucker punches an idea that's constantly expanding in our minds. And it's up to me to kind of, like show what reality that can. It's like, wow, you're just saying words to try to not be the dumb one who doesn't get it. So there's a funny way that these two worlds or three worlds or however many worlds there are still have a common denominator and not in a Freudian way or even a Jungian way where you can kind of say, well, I get it in this, in this box. It's post all of that. It's just, it's just, it's working with things that I think I can read but I can't read with my conscious mind. It's like, it's like the sucker punch itself. You can only feel it and know it, and then be in it. Unfortunately, no one can be told what the Matrix is. You have to see it for yourself. And that's my problem with this. I didn't really have... Like I, you know, I was like, okay, right. So I've got problems with it, but maybe there's some real authorial intent here. But then at the end, Zach's like, oh, well, you know, you could kind of interpret it this way or the other. And it's like, wow, you actually don't have a fixed idea of what this means, and you've left it open because either you don't want to alienate certain people, or because you're afraid that you're going to come off like you don't know what you're talking about, which unfortunately he ends up doing. Um, so uh, if I may interject, are we yeah, here f- to talk about how we interpreted the film or how Zack Snyder interpreted both, the film? Both. Because uh, you keep saying that it's open to interpretation. And if we're going to go back to and critique it based on his, I mean, he doesn't ever know what he's talking about anytime I've seen him talk <laughs> about anything. So, I mean, come on now. Like, it would, you, okay, right. If Lauren, if we mm-hmm. accidentally overinterpret too much into this film, it wouldn't be the first time, would it? No, no. I, <laughs> there's there are many, many examples throughout history of books and art and other things that their yeah. overinterpretation by the end user is more valuable than the interpretation of the author or the artist. Sure. Now, but. that is not to be entirely like discredited don't don't get me wrong i mean i've read some very interesting critiques of something shall we say bram stoker's dracula saying that it's a a marxist look at it about how he's a capitalist and the american is also a vampire because he's a capitalist that's nonsense i don't care what you get out of it as long as you're kind of in the same wheelhouse i think it's like a valid interpretation but i wouldn't necessarily (laughs) sorry i'm sorry to interrupt you lauren but there's ways of interpreting things and then there's a way where it's like, hang on a second, because if it's one way, it's a disgusting pig text. And it's act- it, it appears to be saying this is, you know, th- th- yeah, here you go, girls, this is some new feminism for you. But at the same time, it's massaging the cocks of the men in the audience in a way that allows them to go, it's big, dumb fun. <laughs> it, it's a case of it. it really can't be both because one of them cancels out the other. 
A really good uh, video game example is Bayonetta. Wouldn't you say? Like the, the idea of, is Bayonetta empowering or not? And we could talk up and down about whether Bayonetta's power, empowering or not uh, mm. uh, to women. Ultimately, I think what Bayonetta, is, the lucky thing about Bayonetta is it's on a really solid game. It's on a game that people who, who like it really love. I never really gotten into it that much, but I don't really like Devil May Cry type games myself that much. But if I, I believe if Sucker Punch's ethos and its sort of contentious philosophies were on a really solid film, that would make for a fantastic um, movie to sort of interpret back and forth. But because it's on a film that if you interpret it in one way, one very straightforward way, which is basically anybody who watches it and, and just basically takes exactly what it's giving to them, it's a really slapdash confusing film and sloppily made. Or to bring it back to movies, The Matrix, the first one, is a perfect example of a really solidly made film with some troubling philosophy if you really start getting into it. Whereas the sequels have similarly troubling and intriguing philosophy, but they're built on a foundation of two bad films. And it's when the films are bad and the uh, actions of the characters are genuinely questionable that you then have to start tying it back to the authorial intent and throw interpretation out the window and start asking, no, wait, wait, hang on a second. What is this actually about? What is it supposed to be about? Now, that's not to say that things are only open to interpretation if they're skillfully made. But when they're troubling, that's when the waters get murkier. Or better yet, to quote Roger Ebert, a movie is not what it's about, but about how it's about it. And when you watch it again and again and again and again, it gets so boring to watch, especially all those action scenes, which makes interpreting it again harder. Right. The is this empowering to women argument is contentious, extremely so, regardless of what piece of media you're talking about. But I would say what it comes down to is this. If you are asking the question, is this empowering to women of a man and he gives any answer other than I don't know, he's talking out of his ass because any one thing... How about I hope so? To, yeah, okay. Yeah, I'd like to say I hope so about most of the things I write. Fair point, yes. Okay, I hope I, so. I would never say like... Uh, perfectly acceptable. I would never say of tiger's eye. Is this empowering <laughs> to women or tigers? I don't know. <laughs> I, I have it on pretty good authority from some tigers that it's pretty empowering. <laughs> yeah. Nice. I'm sorry Finger to interrupt you there, there, there Lauren, but um, the, yeah, it's... And you there, Sharon. I just did it again. What I was what I was trying to say is to argue whether or not something is empowering to women as a group is a bit of a futile argument because some things will be empowering to some women and other things will be empowering to other women and certain things will be very extremely disempowering to some women. There there might be women out there who would find um, baby dolls dream fight sequences extremely empowering in the sense that she is using weapons to defend herself and actually comes out of those particular segments um, in control and vaguely successful apart from the last one however they might not ever get there because the scenes in which she gets pushed back into a chair and has a spike moved towards her eye leave them literally unable to go any further because that is so disempowering that they cannot get past that block and I think to, to try and say this is not a pile of crap because because it is empowering women by putting them in a position of, of control and, and aggression 
it's it's presenting them with an opportunity to decide whether that is empowering to them but you cannot say universally yes this is empowering to women no this is disempowering to women because it depends entirely on that woman's circumstances on her history on her background on the the um the things that she's gone through that do or do not relate to what that character is experiencing sarkeesian said it was a pile of crap i would like to state for the record i believe this film to be a total mess but not necessarily a pile of crap. Mm. Um, so, again, what is the asylum? <laughs> uh, so I think, I think it's important that we take a moment here. What do you think really happened, Alex? Because I, I have... I, I have More specific. Okay, I will tell you what I think really happened. Okay. I think that there were these five different girls, women in this asylum given that we the see within for no, 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 no. I'm talking about reality, not what we see. This is this, this is what actually happened that the story is an interpretation. of. So, okay. That even when she's let in that first time and it's playing, is that where is my mind or is that, uh, yeah, no, that's where is my mind. Um, when she, when she goes into the theater for the first time and she spots them all in, Quotation marks reality. Yeah. Are you that, including the incident with the stepfather in this, by the way, Lauren? So the bit where he talks to Blue. So okay, that what to answer your question, Alex. I think that is as close to reality as we get to see. And to answer your question, Sharon, I think that that story, uh, especially given the way that it is emphasized with no real dialogue and in a dreamlike quality, <coughs> that it that is. Sweetie Pie, or Sweetie Pie, Jeebus. Sweetie Pie. Yeah, yeah my, little My Little Pony, sorry. Um, man, Cheaty that's pal. a crossover I don't want to see. Um, Sweet Pea. <coughs> Sweet Pea relating the story of what happened that Baby Doll told her. That's why there's like no dialogue. That's why it's in slow motion. That's why it's very, very stylized and very, very embellished. Uh, so I, 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 that is... Once upon a time. Yes, and that's why it opens with the, the curtains. Mm. So, it, what I see... it on the windows. <laughs> the word sucker punch on the car windows oh, looks God. like semen. Oh, we hate movies. You... Yeah. It's, I do I think that that commentary yeah. is wonderful, by the way. I still... I can... Like, I, I, I do really like this film. Uh, and I do like it a little bit more every time I see it, unlike you. But I do not think it is above reproach. I definitely think there's a lot of problems with it in a lot of ways. And I think their commentary of it is amazing to listen to. <laughs> but to to the point, what I think really happened is these five girls ended up in the asylum for their various reasons. We have uh, some story of why Baby Doll's there. We have a story why Rocket and Sweet Pea are there. Specifically, Rocket ran away from home and Sweet Pea went to find her. They were runaways. Uh, they were runaway girls probably, you know, owed money or something and were eventually put there for reasons we don't get to know. They didn't really need that much in the way of solid reasoning for vagrancy in, in those days. Right. Probably not, not, not that much these days. Right. So the, uh, the four girls that are there ahead of time uh, who are uh, Amber, Blondie, uh, Rocket, and Sweet Pea – they meet baby. All have their own real names, by the way. Oh yeah, yeah. They all have real names. Those are just the nicknames. They're the only names we know them by. Mm -hmm. uh, which I think, well, there's only like two people we ever actually get to know their names, and that's assuming that Blue's name is actually Blue. Mm -hmm. So, uh, all right. So, 
Baby Doll shows up. And oh, I did check. Apparently, Baby Doll, unless that's the name of the stepfather, M. Reese might be Baby Doll's actual name. That's on the form. Ah. It's but, I mean, that yeah. doesn't tell us anything other no. than the fact <laughs> that her name sure as shit ain't really Baby Doll. Right. So, Baby Doll shows up is, like, allotted to uh, be lobotomized. Whether or not there was duplicitous reasons is, you know, beside the point. She shows up becomes a major influence on these four other girls wanting to escape, wanting to be free. Comes up with the plan where they need, uh, what is it, the four things. It's the map, the knife, the fire, and the key. Okay. So the uh, the brothel world, uh, okay, I don't want to mention any of the dream worlds. I want to just try to say what happens. So Sweet Pea goes along with the plan not wanting to, not wanting to, to cause any kind of waves because she's afraid for Rocket, not for herself. But she goes along with it anyway because the rest of the girls want to escape and she doesn't want to see them hurt. All of the times where we have those fight scenes is Baby Doll not necessarily seducing, but putting herself in a situation where she is being sexually taken advantage of. And there's another train. No, no, it's good. It's good sound effects. Okay, uh, that makes it sound more ominous. That's what. Next I, time, just keep talking through it; it'll work. Yeah, that's fair. So, uh, I think that's when Baby Doll, when Baby Doll is quote unquote dancing, that is when she is putting herself in a situation to be sexually taken advantage of by whoever the Mark is. While the Mark is occupied, the other girls are obtaining the pieces of the plan. Uh, Sweet Pea goes in and takes the map and makes a copy of it. Uh, the the whole situation with the fire, the person with the fire was uh, in the dream world. He's the mayor, but he's just an orderly in the asylum world. So we assume we, – we can only assume that he's someone who works in the asylum. So they get it that way in in very similar a way um, for all of the different pieces. Now, the the scene with the cook – where it kind of flashes back and forth because the... Oh, hang on. Does that also mean that Blue murders uh, in, in quote-unquote, real life uh, Blondie and... Um, yes. The other one who doesn't matter. Amber. Amber. <laughs> yes. The other vestigial girls who are there just because they wanted five and not three. <laughs> yes. That means that he is instrumental to their disposal shall we say mm. in the situation we know that rocket uh, or the girl that we know as oh for fuck's sake as rocket definitely dies at the hands of the knife of a fat pig of a cook yes yeah so she gets stabbed to death and uh blue disposes of we don't know if he he literally kills them but they are removed from the situation whether they are sent to a higher max facility or what have you Blue disposes of them, leaving just Sweet Pea and Baby Doll. Well, that's the thing. If he's being dra- dragged away for uh, purposefully orchestrating, uh, I think the, the reason he's being dragged away at the end is because he falsified the, the signature. Document. Yes. Right? Well, that uh, and, and then he finds he's, out about that. Yeah, and that, then he's and basically then, trying to fuck a uh, a girl who has been lobotomized. Yes, but yeah. the so so basically, if he had murdered two girls, 
that's a little bit more of a serious situation. However, the, a lot of the stuff that was going on in the asylum was clearly being covered up, especially by his uh, kind of lackeys that are always there around him and helping him do yeah. things. So there's a good chance that 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 like their murder, if they are in fact murdered, comes to light after the fact, after they've already dragged him away for attempted yeah. rape and falsifying documents. One can only imagine what happens to Blue afterwards. Yeah, not not <laughs> good things. Mm-hmm. So uh, that leaves one has to bloody imagine it. Yeah, <laughs> that's the, that's the one serious fucking retribution we didn't get. Which leaves an even more bitter taste in the mouth. Yeah, For not, some reason, uh, the, the child in me seeks that level of justice. <laughs> so, uh, so Sweet Pea and Baby Doll are the only ones left, and they enact the plan anyway, going f- go forward with it so that they can escape. But they get to a situation where Baby Doll makes the decision to give herself up so Sweet Pea can escape. Mm-hmm. Uh, because of any number of reasons you can imagine. She probably felt guilty for what happened to Rocket. She felt... Uh, just weary and tired of all the stuff that she had to go through. Of being- well, since Rocket could be interpreted as the little sister who died for re- because Baby Doll fucked up. Right. It's her little sister who died because Baby Doll fucked up at the beginning. Right. So this maybe this is Baby Doll just saying, you know what, I am a terrible person and I'm giving myself up for this greater cause, in a sense, mm-hmm. to get Sweet Pea out of there, who shouldn't be there in the first place, but is... You know what I mean. So then Sweet Pea escapes and – By the way, this bo- – sorry to, um, to to jump in again. This <laughs> bothered Sharon because it would appear that the film endorses this. Her decision to go back and sacrifice herself. Yes. Sweet Pea goes to the bus station and I think that the scene with the bus station is the closest we actually get to reality. I don't think it's the same as the asylum world. Mm-hmm. However, the bus driver is because the bus driver is the the wise man figure that appears in who seems to the, be all knowing rather than just a nice bus driver. So, so think of it this way: from Sweet Pea's perspective, she's in the asylum. This new girl comes in, has this plan. All kinds of crazy shit happens, but in the end, she gets to escape through the kindness of both, uh, well, through Baby Doll's sacrifice and the kindness of this bus driver. She is then relating this story in retrospect, casting both Baby Doll as a a larger than life hero and the the kind bus driver as the kind of omnipresent wise man guiding them along. Just because she herself can't truly express like the horrors that they underwent because they were all – there was evidence that they were all sexually abused and physically abused. So the representation – Can I just that, add, by the way, folks, this is a PG-13. Yes. This is a 12 in the UK. <sighs> yeah. So I can't think of an age that Lyra will be old enough to show this to her <laughs> without upsetting her to the point where it wasn't worth it. I know plenty of people who are well over 13 or 12 that uh, were uncomfortable watching this movie, which is totally fair. She wants, to, she wants to see this. She, she, uh, I showed her the uh, samurai sequence just because it's kick-ass. Uh, and she loves that song, and she wants to see the rest. I'm like, hey, it's not what you think, honey. <laughs> yeah. 
so even the end where Blue goes in and assaults Baby Doll and uh, gets let out, and they talk about how they're going to like really come down on him and how they're really going to come down on the stepfather. That is still Sweet Pea relating like what she read in the newspaper, what like what she knows after the fact. That that's not to be taken literal, but it's probably pretty close. Is is my interpret? I mean, this is a lot of my interpretation. Obviously, there's no like book of this is what sucker punch means. But if you read it, that the whole thing is Sweet Pea relating the story of her escape from this horrible, terrible situation, uh, and highlighting the two people that really went out of their way to protect her. Uh, I think the movie reads a little bit a, a bit better in a lot of ways. Sharon? (laughs) I think the reason that I try to interpret it as um, everything that goes on here is more of an internal struggle than an external one um, is partly because of uh, Sweet Pea's comment about you you have, basically, you have everything you need within you. And partly because... Otherwise, if if the if the layer that is the asylum is real, or at least as real as it gets in terms of an actual outline of what happened, then I am so unhappy with the circumstances of Sweet Pea getting away that it makes it very difficult for me to accept other elements of the film that I have a bit more time for. Because I, I, I think I know what Alex was driving at now about me um, not liking Baby Doll sacrificing herself. It wasn't specifically the fact that Baby Doll sacrificed herself. It's the fact that everybody got sacrificed. Everybody. So that Sweet Pea could get away. And if the if the structure of the narrative is, is saying... Um, you know, these these terrible situations that, that people get themselves into, these, um, you know, uh, authoritative institutions and, and organisations, you know, if they're, whether that's a real mental institution or just a, um, an organisational structure that, that women find themselves being uh, harmed and oppressed in on a day-to-day basis. Basically, um, nobody really gets to turn the tables and destroy that. If I, I think a more satisfying conclusion to that for me would not have been Sweet Pea, by virtue of the fact that her sister and all of her friends die, gets to sneak out, get rid of her, um, you know, oppressively sexy clothing that people have been forcing her to wear in order to defend herself and be able to survive, put on this nice little clean cotton dress that makes her look ever so acceptable and get saved by the... Um, kindly man. The, the, yeah, the kindly man who, who drives her away from all of this. <laughs> in actual fact, what I would have preferred would be some kind of, you know, we're going to burn this shit to the ground kind of situation. Um, but I think... <sighs> The way of reading it that, that all of this is an internal struggle rather than external one means that the character of Sweet Pea has, is in a, a place where those boundaries are not necessarily of her own creating, but that she's, she is within those restrictions only as long as she doesn't accept them. Uh, sorry, only as long as she accepts them. 
And the idea for me that baby doll is the element of her that is the um, the the fighter, the it, it's kind of the the inner child because obviously baby doll is portrayed as being extremely innocent and all of her narrative, um, particularly in the extended cut, um, revolves around this idea of her innocence being gradually taken away from her. But a, um, a raging angry child that wants justice and fairness rather than a meek little child who allows bad things to happen to them, which I think it would be fair to say if you're put in a situation where you are being unfairly treated and abused and and um and deliberately harmed by people it might be crushed pretty far down but there would be an element of you that that raged against that and really wanted an opportunity to fight back against it and it's it's to say you have to fight and the the fight is there inside you and oh by the you way have to fight the because you fight, fight club said like, so yeah, it's you, your first fight club <laughs> you have to fight and i've seen fight club no, no, 20 no, times i don't she, fucking get it no, but says, i'll use the music from it you're here you have to dance that is exactly what she says to her Mm-hmm. So this because is your first that, dance at dance club. Yeah, <laughs> dance that, that dance is her <laughs> fight. That's that's how that sets it up as being. That the Fuck. only thing she has to defend herself with is the sexy dancing, and that's bullshit. And it it's just that. Oh, I think the reason that I try so desperately hard to find an interpretation of this that that I can accept is because otherwise I'm going to want to kick Zack Snyder in the nuts. <laughs> and it, I I get what. Um, Bob Chipman's driving out with the whole um, feminist interpretation and obviously Bob acknowledges that there are huge problems with that anyway For the uninitiated, Bob Chipman was positing that everybody who died uh, represents third wave feminism uh, to make way for some nascent fourth wave feminism uh, which is Sweet Pea uh, that will that has a chance of success despite the failures of... Uh, can you describe third-wave feminism, Sharon? Because you said basically it hasn't ever officially started, well, but it's sort of Spice Girls onwards, the idea of girl power, although it's packaged by male executives. It's, it's not It's not specifically that. Feminism is such a, a hazy thing anyway that you can only really categorise the stuff that came so far, ago, so far long ago that it's not changing Is there anymore. as much gatekeeping in feminism as there is in video games? Oh, dear God, yes. <laughs> Absolutely there is. Absolutely You can't be a is. feminist. You're not feminist enough. Yeah, yeah. goes on all the time. It's extremely frustrating. That's what I meant about the uh, the, the, the shades of... The, 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 the spectrum. Because ultimately, it's not a binary thing of misogynist or feminist. It's like, like superwoman hater at one end and superman hater at the other end. And in the middle is everybody else with varying degrees of could you all just stop fucking getting at each other and especially not at me. I'm not against you. Well, look, no, no, no. The bottom line is this. It, it's, it, it's not feminism that's doing this because feminism is an ideology. And ideologies can't do anything to people because they are non-personified entities no it's, what it's say the people. what they mean is the people exercise yeah, exactly the people involved it, when something is so huge of course you're going to get people who who come up against each other and clash against each other all the time to add um, an extra one to that this is going to be one of my later questions but basically it was going to be who is the old man he figured figures in it repeatedly but this ties in with the idea of the uh, revolutionary fourth wave feminism being say this fragile possibility of women's liberation being saved by this old man and who's saying very specifically we've got a long way to go the, bob interpreted that as being Zack snyder himself 
basically the wise old man saying, ladies, I understand your pain. Exactly. I will help give you the weapons you need to move on. And this now, is why, fight. to me, he has to be a part of Sweet Pea, because if he's not... We're back to kicking Zack Snyder in the nuts again because <laughs> sorry, but no, and and particularly which makes the ending really troublesome. Yes, it does. What what Bob was saying about the whole third wave, fourth wave feminism. Unless he, that's even, all just even he said that is you're reaching with that particular argument. And, um, and he doesn't I, I sure as shit don't think that's what Zack meant, Indeed. or at least that's not what he meant directly. I think he was basically thinking, um, girl. Okay, right. My next question was going to be, what is the brothel? <laughs> uh, but I'm going to jump forwards one and go what do all these threats of incarceration violence and rape signify because basically that's what the girls are fighting against so what what is that is that basically just all female oppression uh, summarised as the worst possible female oppression aside from basically rape camps which this is on the verge of that the closest to a rape camp a PG-13 can possibly fucking manage part of the part of the issue with the way this is it's framed is exactly the same thing as i said about um the remake of nightmare on elm street <clears throat> if you are going to make a film about oh. child sexual abuse i just remembered the last film that felt this unpleasant to talk about <laughs> oh yeah um, if if you're going to make a film about that make the film about that don't put it in context of look at all this cool horror shit going on and look at all this cool action shit going on and look at all these fancy, awesome, gorgeous costumes that we get to look at. Don't be it, making no jokes. It just... It's... <sighs> so, before we get too fired up, can I respond? <laughs> no, I Mr. I'm already there. Can I... Uh, Lauren, Lauren, please yeah. jump in. Go so, so uh, first off, there's, I think, something important to mention that misogyny and feminism are not... That, that's a false dichotomy. The opposite of misogyny is misandry. And I don't think I'm in any position to speak... Hang on, hang on. What's, what's misandry? So misogyny... Yeah. Yes. So misog- what I just literally said to yeah. a massive it, scale: man haters at one end, women haters at the exactly, other. They're exactly. All kind of pincered in between. But what I'm, but I want to. So I am. I don't feel like I'm in a position to speak to whether or not this film is is feminist or, or whatever. Like that is not my. <laughs> you say it's feminist in that sense. <laughs> Well, but but there's and one thing I can't. Feminist text. I think the one thing I can say is it's certainly not meninist. It's definitely more misandrist than anything else. But that's God. another. Yeah, the, the yeah. men don't come off very well in this. They really don't. No, no. Uh, oh, John Hamm gets a hell of a pass, which I don't think he's entitled to. Yeah. Also, there is, there is that one point where Sweet Pea, uh, that, that, that uh, Bob makes, again, makes a point of, where, where Sweet Pea's like, what is this? Being the bottom, I mean, you know, like the nurse uniform thing I get. Maybe a, a escaped a mental patient, that can be hot. Uh, question mark. Um, <laughs> but this, what is this? And the idea being she's actually shouting at the audience and they're turning the camera around going, look, this is you, you drooling fucking pervert. If that's the case, I'd like to be the one sitting in the audience going, nope, did not ask for that, did not expect that, did not want... like no, Nobody fucking looked at the trailers for this or saw the posters for this and thought, well, this is going to be a film with some lobotomies. They didn't come in for what you're decrying them for liking. They came in to see girls shooting like Nazi steampunk zombies. Did they not? And what I I 
got wound up about in terms of the is this a critique on geek male gaze and how uh, women have a tendency a tendency ha um, that there is this streak of, of objectification of women in the, that media and damn that, straight there is that's fine you can critique that but not when you've just come off Watchmen <laughs> literally you've just come off Watchmen and Silk Spectre tripped over it in yes. her high heels yes she did I feel like that could be accredited to a lot of the source material for that one too but uh, this no, isn't he's sexy to her costume no end <laughs> well lord man yes. I mean, <laughs> certainly but <laughs> but even in the comics she the at least the original silk specter was very specifically a sex symbol but that's okay. not the movie in the we're original comics no. did a woman's shapely calf get shattered in slow motion by a bullet ripping through it but not a man man's that'd be pretty impressive to do with just you know pages of paper but well, no, you could, you could, it, it would have been a single panel. It wasn't yeah. there. No, uh, no, no, no. Snyder specifically went out of his way to go, look, this is it's a terrible situation. Oh, look at that. Yeah. It's just like the money shot coming out of her leg. Yeah, and if you'd like to hear more about that, go and look up the Digital Gonzo episode about Where Watchmen. About <laughs> four hours. Yeah, and listen to my first contribution to this podcast. Anyway, yeah. so can I possibly keep talking about what I was doing, what I wanted to come back at from what Sharon was saying. So I think something important, Sharon, is to uh, remember that the only girl who kind of fell specifically for Sweet Pea was Baby Doll. The other three sort of fell in the line of duty, so to speak, which is why they're depicted as falling in those various other dream world states. As they opposed fell for to, all of them, basically. Yeah, it's, it's sort of as part of the process, like as part of trying to escape the the hazards of what they all were trying to do, caught up with a few of them, and when there were only two left, one of them decided very deliberately to sacrifice themselves. The other three girls didn't have a say in getting knifed or shot or exactly. whatever happened. Exactly, and that's that's kind of my argument. If if your rationale for if you try to escape this oppression, eighty percent of you will die. 40% of you will be murdered, 20% of you will be accidentally killed, 20% of you will have to sacrifice themselves willingly. But I don't. Also, I also don't think that this is necessarily something that, you, like, this isn't a, like a textbook, this isn't a recipe for how, how to survive, because it is kind of a period piece, it's more just highlighting the... It's true, but it is so symbolic that you have to look at what he's doing with each death. Certainly. Uh, but then the other thing, if you want to look at what he's doing with each death, if you take Sharon's interpretation where all of the different girls are just an aspect of Sweet Pea, then it's Sweet Pea who gets lobotomized because that removes the part of her that is the fighter and it apparently works because that's how she gets to freedom. And I don't, and that's why I can't interpret the film that way. Sharon, you and I have a lot of, um, uh, shall we say, a tendency to look at films from a psychological perspective like this. And <laughs> oh, but I don't. Apparently I don't. No, Alex. I'm just saying that literally every show Sharon's been on that was about a movie, she talked about how the characters were different parts of a single self. I I don't like that interpretation of this film because that means the lobotomy worked. And from a, a healthcare side of things, lobotomies are really not good. And I don't like lobotomies. And the fact that to if if they if all the girls were part of one psyche and two of them fell to the abuse, they were like aspects of the self that 
fell to just the assault and the abuse. One of them, well, I guess it'd be three fell to the abuse, uh, like the process of trying to work through the problems. And then the last one was literally ripped from your brain cells and then you're free. That makes me more uncomfortable than interpreting this as someone gets out and tells the story of their escape. Also, this is totally ripped from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Group of troubled individuals within a, a lunatic asylum all trying to get away, especially from an oppressive uh, orderly figure. Um, eventually, they're all stuck there. I believe there's a death. I haven't seen it in years. I believe at least one of them dies. Jack Nicholson, our hero. Um, That's a thing you never say. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> fuck it. You know what? Like, hang on. Let me just not spoil this thing. Um you know, one of them that we've really, really been with gets lobotomized. And we're like, oh, no, this character that we really, you know, wanted to get away didn't. And then one facet of them, one character, chucks a thing through a thing and gets away. Basically, Zack Snyder watched that and Fight Club and fucking Sailor Moon and went, <laughs> combined them all. Stick all those in a pan. I'm so sorry. Carry on. That's <laughs> Um, I, no, 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 carry on, Lauren. Or was it Sharon? No, no, go ahead, go ahead. I'm, too, Sharon, I'm too amused. Shit, yeah. <laughs> um, I was just, um, the idea of um, the, the lobotomy, it, in the interpretation I am positing, that for me would be a metaphorical lobotomy rather than a literal one because by that interpretation, I take that layer of the mental asylum to be another layer of... A representation rather than reality itself. She may be telling a story of how she went into an, uh, a mental institution and got out again, but I don't think it's the story that we see unfold on screen. But yeah, for you, yes. Lauren, you believe it's it's literally a, a mental institution and that this is a, a the reality that we see is an interpretation of that. Well, again, I think I, I like that reading of it. I, uh, that reading of it resonates with me more because even if it's a metaphorical lobotomy, it is... Uh, and especially since she – like the act of her sacrificing herself for it, she knowingly does it. That means that from a psychological perspective, even if it's metaphorical, that is her choosing to remove the part of herself that fights in choosing. order to be free. <laughs> and oh, that God. Is choosing to – Yeah. No, 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 hang on. No, no, no. no. I, I'm not, not saying that's just suddenly occurring to me. But basically that that was one of my readings on it. And the idea that specifically symbolized by the dress where she's decided to make nice, the idea that a new wave of feminism would basically have to be accepted in society by not being angry outwardly, fuck that not, so much. Not to mention the fact that that dress is very domestic in its cut and pattern, meaning mm. that it would be like, the way that you can move forward is to stop fighting us and go back into the kitchen, woman. Yeah, exactly. And, I don't want to go to the, the kitchen. There's the a great big fat pig in there with a knife. <laughs> <laughs> go to the back of the bus and chill out and rest, and we'll drive you to wherever it is We've we think you need to be. We've got a long way to go. Um, but, yeah. but yeah, that's that's kind of my point that, that by that interpretation that's what happens that specifically that she has to choose to rid herself of the part of herself that fights in that way specifically and and i think this is the the implication on the the whole third wave feminism thing because yes it's all tied in with girl power and the whole you know be sexy in order to be strong and and you take control of that except for the fact that you've got a manager stood behind you who's signing the checks um but 
I, I found it very frustrating. And again, Lauren, this, that's exactly why I had such an issue with the end, because oh, yeah. by that interpretation, that's what she's having to dispose of and give up her that particular shape of guardian angel, as it were, albeit an internal one, and accept the old man, the more traditional um, example of the guidance figure and the person who tells you what you need and where you need to be. Imagine for one moment that this is not about gender and it is in fact about race. Imagine Kerry Washington gets on that bus, gets told to go to the back of the bus by a kindly old man who says, we've got a long way to go, sister. Fuck y'all, kiss my ass! Seriously. That that is the most fucking patronising of... for that to be the result of this. Absolutely. And now that's the thing. We have these two different interpretations where uh, one of them is more of a psychological read where basically nobody comes out great because uh, women are basically being told to get back into the kitchen and give up the fight while men are told that they're giant fat pigs and they're all horrible, (laughs) like, rapey... This is, nasty see, this, this, this is you. See this? This is you. See this? Well. <laughs> yeah. Or, 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 or there's the other interpretation. Yes. That, one that person like. comes out of this well. Yes. Scott Glenn. It, well, yeah, he does come out quite well. But it, at least in my. He's kind and wise and gives them fucking fortune cookie fucking pop uh, yeah. oh philosophy. God. Yeah. If some you of... don't have one of these, you're never going to get one of these. Man, or some shit. Some of the shit he says is just nonsense and it's great but if you can't uh, do anything you'll never do nothing what yeah but you want to push something down you're gonna pull it up (laughs) i don't remember telling you that why am i wearing watermelons on my feet (laughs) what was the one thing he says where like if you don't live for something you'll fall for anything for anything anything. i was like what the hell so uh but at least if 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 it's like the telling of how sweet pea escaped from that perspective at least to me it's a little it's still really terrible towards men. It's still very misandrist. I, I think any interpretation you can have of this movie is very misandrist. But at least that way, there is some part of it that is good and redeemable. And uh, <laughs> and that's oh, God. And, and I think that's why that's how I, I see the movie. That's that's how I kind of interpret it in a sense because I, I mean, yeah, Zack Snyder is as mentioned previously. I wouldn't necessarily trust him to tell me where i should even put my shoes so to speak but uh, <laughs> i don't think that understands people in fact i think the only species that comes off well in this is dragons oh man that poor dragon uh, so yeah. so can i just real quick say that you know this movie is really bad towards men and with at least 50 percent of the interpretation really bad towards women but it is a hundred percent terrible towards dragons they get a terrible rap in that that baby was adorable well it that's really the thing they don't get a terrible rap that's the that's they're doing something they shouldn't be doing and it's fucking obvious she shouldn't be slitting that baby's throat and then like, when she kills the mother, it's not a cause of celebration. It's a cause of fucking tragedy. And it's you just killed sh- one of the rarest beasts in the world. And it is <clears> shot <throat> that way, actually. Because whenever she kills the, the mother, it, everything slows down and it gets a lot quieter and a lot more morose. While at the end of all the other ones, it's very explosive and bombastic. The cum shot, if you will. Yeah. Uh, but that one is very subdued because it's it's almost like... In in the interpretation that I was giving, at that point, that was when kind of the gravity of their situation was really setting in and being like – because like the first one, like whenever they get the map, that probably went really well because as we see later in the film, Blue becomes unbelievably infatuated with Baby Doll. So that probably went smoothly. But then the next one probably didn't go as smooth and that's represented in how 
morose and un- uncomfortable watching them fight that dragon is, at least for me. But then again, I mean, some of my best friends are dragons. So mm. uh, Also, Chipman um, interpreted that as the, the fact that basically she is killing a child. She is both killing the child and the mother in her. So, so she's just going through, ticking off the things she doesn't need to escape. Yep. And, and with a phallic instrument, might we add. Yeah, um, yeah so... <laughs> very uncomfortable all the way around. Uh, but that's why, that's why I choose my interpretation over the everybody's part of the same psyche interpretation because I also try not to critique it from a feminist point of view because I also don't feel like I have the right to do that. So well, anyway, that's where it, we are. You have a right to do, to to You have just a, as, a, as much right as anybody else to actually um, uh, interpret this from a feminist angle if, if you are... If you, if, you know, if, if you state yourself to be a feminist, I don't think anyone else could say you're not a feminist. Um, but that's another argument. But well, uh, I, I would say that saying I don't really have the right to do that, uh, it, it's considerate. But I think I don't believe it's necessarily needed. I'm sure many, many, many staunch feminists would disagree with me. Now, I, I know that we've definitely derailed the uh, plan for this episode. So, I, if you, I don't know if you'd want to go back to some of those questions yeah. that you had that we haven't already answered in our question three of twenty six. What is the brothel? <laughs> <sighs> okay, right. So it's it's not reality or reality interpreted through one filter. It is. Uh, it would appear to be a way for the. For whatever, go- oh, that was what I was going to say. It can't possibly be all of them are aspects of a different psyche because it's not carefully thought out enough for that to be the case. No. <laughs> this is what it comes down to with uh, if Zack Snyder doesn't know what he's writing about. Yeah. It can't be interpreted that way because you'd have to really reach with certain characters to go, well, this is clearly an aspect of the. I mean, there's only three fucking main, main aspects, but um, I've had a lot of practice at this. If I try hard enough, I can I can force it. You can try to force them into those square and, and round star shaped holes, but but, um, but my, should you? right, my uh, way of looking at the brothel would be yeah. this is um, a, a filter on reality that mm-hmm. basically says if you are going to exist in this world, the only thing you can be is an object of um, sexual. Uh, desire for hmm. men something to prime that into a more uh it's slightly more colorful world it's a slightly more appealing world it's still fucking sickening and whenever they go into the kitchen it's like now nah, this is just the real world this is just <laughs> fucking horrible no matter what you know this is just a coat of paint um but it i suppose focuses the film to say this is all you have to do girls whereas when they're in the asylum it is much more nebulous as to what they have to do. They have to do chores. They are classified insane. There's a stamp on their hand, just like in The Simpsons. <laughs> and um, they they have to endure. At least in the brothel world, things appear to be simpler. Yeah, well, part of part of the issue with... Um, if, if we take the argument that this is a representation of an actual 60s uh, mental institution, uh, the, the way they were operated you could get put in them for next to no reason at all especially if if somebody who was more authoritative than you decided that you ought to be in one convincing people that you were better and able to get out of them was incredibly difficult especially to get the if you same were stamp yeah absolutely because because what do you what do you have to suppress what do you have to you know you you can't express any emotion because that suggests that you're still not in control of your emotions but if you're too cold and clinical 
that suggests that there's something missing in your head that really ought to be there if you're going to be able to survive in society. You literally can't win in that scenario. Next question. Should this perhaps have been an R-rated film? Yes. Oh, yes, yes, it man. should. The themes it handles are way too complex for uh, a PG-13. And people going into a PG-13 with this level of advertising would not at all be expecting this film. And, you know, considering how much of a mess it is, it it being an R and being allowed to do whatever they want, and, for example, the extended cut, which makes things a little clearer, um would have allowed them to actually make more of a statement. Unfortunately, it, it was a PG-13 and very much open to interpretation and a mess. And all three of those things do not make for a great viewing experience. Whatever ratings, um, whatever classifications the, the MPAA use to, to fit their ratings templates, I, I don't know what boxes they were ticking but surely there's something in there for context because and, and, and apart from anything else there's there's zero consistency either because in the um the theatrical cut when they go to the brothel world and the priest is bringing baby doll in mm-hmm. um sweet pea says let me guess the priest brought you here from the orphanage and then it stops and in the um, extended cut, she says, the priest brought you here from the orphanage to lose your virginity. But later on, when they're in the dance studio, in the theatrical cut, Blondie says she's no virgin. So it's not as if it's specifically that reference. Mm. Um, The other thing is that it's, it's, it's actually a really distressing film to watch. Ergo, bringing children into it really really not fucking advised it is a, it is a straight up unsuitable for children mm, yeah. um uh, i have shown lyra 18 rated films now um i've talked her through them i've skipped over some of the worst parts and i've made sure that she's okay with them um but a lot of them she's actually really enjoyed and um uh, you know uh, you know, uh, enjoys the mythology of them this is a film with a lot more genuinely upsetting scenes in it than these 18 rated films, such as Aliens, that I have shown her. I mean, I think this just highlights how nonsensical the, the rating system is, because I, I almost feel like any of the ratings people who saw this, because it's like a shadowy board somewhere, kind of like the Academy Award or the, uh, the Oscars or whatever. Um, and I feel like they saw it and they're like, oh, it's a big, dumb action film. And they like didn't read into it any any deeper. Big, dumb fun. Yeah, I, I feel like that's what happened. They're like, oh, yeah, PG-13, just like that Transformers movie or whatever. Oh, yeah, she gets lobotomized and nearly raped. Yeah, I mean, oh, they probably fell asleep by that point. Oh, it's, it's, a, it's an like interpretation 90. of rape, PG-13. Yeah, no, it's fine. Uh, oh, this is an important movie. This is a movie of historical significance. This is feminist. Really, really, the thing is, though, even in the United States, uh, violence is given a pass much more often than any kind of sexually related material. But it's sexualized that's, violence. That's why I'm saying it's so surprising to me that it was still a PG-13. Uh, but if it was an R, like you said, I definitely think that. Uh, they could have been a little less messy and muddy with some of the metaphors and some of the scenes, and it could have made a lot more sense. Yeah, agreed. Um, okay, uh, what are... <laughs> well, but speaking of which, though, so the extended cut we mentioned a couple of times. Yeah. Man, there's a lot of little scenes that they added for that extended cut that, that add Re-included. a lot of context. But Jesus Christ, the last one that they added, right, leading the, right up to her lobotomy that was... The John high, Hamm one? Uh... Yes, yeah, the guy from Mad Men. 
Oh, I, I've never seen Mad Men. I wouldn't know. So the, he's the doctor guy who does the lobotomy, but he's the high roller. The high roller. Yeah. That scene is so fucking creepy. Holy shit. I was so uncomfortable watching that. I was more uncomfortable watching that scene than literally any other aspect of the movie. And is and the way that they, uh, Oh, God, the time. You've got to explain it. For the 90% of people who haven't seen the extended okay. version of this, so, I mean, I would say a large. Okay. No, no, I, I'm going to do it because I'm, I'm pretty good at explaining shit. Oh, okay. Jump in if if I miss anything out. Um, it's just before uh, the. like In the theatrical version, Baby Doll stands in, in the way, kicks that guy in the balls while uh, Sweet Pea runs away, and then gets punched in the face, and then it goes, boom, sucker punch. You, she just got lobotomized. And then John Hamm goes, oh. It's, it's almost like she wanted me to do it. That she wanted me to do it is interpreted as a seven or eight minute scene. It feels longer. Where baby, oh, baby doll in a sexy outfit is prepared by a bunch of unseen nurses' hands. And it's all white with stockings. And she's lying on a silk bed in a, um, you know, a, a, an expensive brothel bedroom. And she's preparing for the high roller who comes to her bedside and is John Hamm from Mad Men. And he's very smooth, kind of clinical. But he's basically, I want you to accept me. I want you to sort of... going to dance now and, and and i'm going to have sex with you now and you're going to take this in and, and this is basically what you have to do and i genuinely believe that Zack snyder thought that her inviting this was empowering oh man because the he specifically says that like i'm basically i'm going to take your body but what i really want is just for a moment just a sliver of the real you that That's I want to take what's really you, and and like, man, at, like as he goes down, meaning like, steal oh, it in this case, not just borrow it, steal it away from her forever. Literally taking the real you uh, as he lays down on and top so, of her, and they start getting hot and heavy. And at like <laughs> the moment of penetration, it cuts back to the asylum with the ting of the lobotomy needle. Holy shit. I, I may never have an erection again. Like, <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> Jesus Christ. PG 13. Do you know what, do you know what's really fucked up? Uh, all of what we just said. Yes. Okay. On Blu-ray in the UK. They're both rated 12, Ooh. which is the equivalent of PG 13. That means. A 12-year-old is absolutely fine watching that scene, according to the usually really pretty on the money BBFC. Oh, my God. That is uncomfortable. That scene, like I, like I said, I've seen this movie a couple of times. I think I've seen the theatrical version two or three times, but I actually didn't see the full extended version until this morning. And that scene was what really like just squicked me out. I'm like, there's just no – there. oh, this is uncomfortable. <laughs> Sorry, I've just gone back to uh, double-check the box to make sure I can back that one up with paperwork. It is indeed a 12. I, I've, I can grab my DVD sitting on the table over there if you want, to, if you want me to In see In America, it. usually when they do extended versions, they say the unrated edition, don't they? Yeah, but I kind of feel like I should find out if they did that for this. Hold yeah, on if you would, yeah. There you are. You gave us quite a scare, you know. Where am I? You're safe for now. 
I don't know how to put this delicately, so I will spare you the insult of being vague. But you and I are supposed to screw. I hope you'll forgive my language, but I think you'll find it is in keeping with the spirit of the arrangement. Now, I have absolutely no intention of simply taking you. In fact, I can think of nothing more offensive. You see, I am what you might call the man who has everything. And yet, I lack the one thing money can't buy. Love. Close. Truth is more accurate. I seek a true moment, a moment of truth in this world of lies. Just so happens that uh, that moment, that fragile, delicate thing like a glass egg or sandcastle, well, that moment can only be given by a non-faker, a non-actor. That's you. I don't understand. I have spent a small fortune getting you in this room. This golden cage. You're supposed to give yourself to me. It's completely physical. I might have your body, but the real you, that intangible and undefinable spark that is you. Well, that you I will never know. And yet that is precisely what I want. I'm sorry. You seem really nice. You don't want me to lie to you? No, I don't. All I require from you is a sliver of a moment to have you not by force, but simply as a man and a woman. To see in your eyes that simple truth that you give yourself to me freely, not because you have to, but because you want to. such a gem, I will give as well. I'm willing to give you freedom. Pure and total freedom. Freedom from the drudgery of everyday life. Freedom as abstract ideal. Freedom from pain. Freedom from responsibility. Freedom from guilt. Regret. Freedom from sadness. Freedom from loss. Freedom to be happy. 
I'm looking at the MPAA ratings guidance, by the way, mm -hmm. um, and I honestly think it got a PG-13 because there's no nudity. Yeah. Um, the girls are, while not fully clothed, obviously, are wearing clothes over the key areas um, and there's no bad language. And no. there's no intense or persistent violence or drug abuse. Now, here's the interesting thing. In the States, the extended to cut is rated R. Okay. Uh, and it's interesting because it says theatrical version uh, where it just says some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Then restrict the, the R extended cut, sexual content, some violence in brief language. That's only 17 minutes of difference of, of footage. That, that's That's – very strange. That's very fine of a difference between the a lot two. can happen in 17 minutes. Well, you can get a couple of rapes in there. Yeah, right? <sighs> also in film. Anyway. Um, <clears throat> Jesus. Right. So, I mean, really, th this leads perfectly onto the next question. What is the significance of the unseen dance equals action? So I think we've already touched on this. Is there any more light that we can shed on this? Basically, we never get to see baby dolls dance. In fact, we don't really get to see, in the regular edition, we don't get to see any of their dancing. In the extended version, you know that whole uh, Roxy music bit at the end? That's in earlier in the film, and it contains a big old uh, musical number, which has all of them dancing to different interpretations of, you know, uh, and it sort of introduces you to these characters and also kind of softens the working up to what's going to happen it it kind of suggests this is business as usual rather than just and now you have to dance after what what why it kind it contextualizes a little what uh baby doll's going to have to do but also it to a degree it also slightly confuses things because basically only baby dolls dances equate to action good evening gentlemen We've got a great night in store for you. Discuss. I see a lot of new faces out there, as well as some familiar ones, so I'm not going to yammer on too long. I want you all to sit back, enjoy the service, the scenery, but most of all, enjoy the show. <laughs> Do you want to go first, Sharon? <laughs> well, for me, because she's because I read her as the fighter, um, her dances are her fight for survival and you can take that as the fact that that madame gorski says to her if you if you're going to be here you have to have a purpose and your purpose is to dance um and she's already had rocket outline what the girls are there to do keep the, the clients entertained so that blue can make money so there's that element of it there's also the idea that um the dances are her way of keeping herself detached from from the world that she's been thrown into because throughout the brothel scenes baby doll always maintains i'm not staying i'm getting out of here i am i i refuse to be absorbed and become a part of this structure um and the dances by only seeing the battle element of it which you can read as her internal process while she's doing the dances 
it kind of keeps the audience one step removed from seeing her as being becoming absorbed into you put yourself on stage and, and um, exhibit yourself for an appreciative audience. And, uh, and then if you replace basically everything Sharon said where she said dance with uh, basically Art. rape, uh, then you have what happened in reality where she is puts herself in a position to become abused by people as her not her way of survival so much as her way of getting the tools necessary for her survival. So it's still her fighting, but then the, the action sequences are an abstraction of that conflict that like intimate conflict going on because it's a pg-13 movie and they're sure not going to show an orderly raping one of the inmates so that's the interpretation that basically in uh in reality one she's being raped let's go ahead and say by blue in reality two she interprets that as a dance in reality three which is deeper inside that um she uh turns that into a fight yeah and thus does not give away that part of herself Exactly. It's, it's like a, a regressing into yourself. It actually is something that I've heard from rape survivors, the like mm. uh, psychologically like regressing into kind of a, a not a dream state, but like just to try to separate oneself from the act that's going on. And it just seems like that's the way that I can read that. that, that I'm sure Zack Snyder has heard that too and clumsily reinterpreted that into the action sequences that we see. <laughs> Certainly. Um... <clears throat> The... But this, is, this is kind of what I mean, though, about the you can you it's you can't say definitively whether this is empowering or not because it's entirely possible that there would be some people who would find would interpret it that way, relate it to themselves, and find it empowering, and other people who would interpret it that way, relate it to themselves, and find it utterly sickening. Yeah. Saw a movie this year called Basic Instinct. Now, Bill's quick capsule review. Piece of shit. <laughs> Thank you. That's all it was, by the way. Don't get caught up in the phony hysteria surrounding this piece of shit film. Was it too sexist? And what about the lead? Did you think maybe... You're way off base. You've forgotten how to perceive correctly. Take a deep breath. Watch it again. Hey, it's a piece of shit. Exactly. That's all it ever was, was a piece of shit. I just had to say that and clear it up. This phony hype around this piece of shit film drove me crazy. Anyway, after I saw it about eight times. <laughs> the, other, the other side of it is, of course, Zack Snyder critiquing um, women in action movies as being repackaged uh, in a, mas um, a male-pleasing ma uh, manner, wherein basically if women want to be accepted and beloved on screen as uh, you know as much as their male uh, counterparts uh, specifically in action sci-fi movies they have to basically dance to this tune they have to basically do what i'm fairly certain Zack snyder's going to do with wonder woman and i feel like uh that's what Zack snyder was probably focusing on more than anything else is he was trying to make a movie that was critiquing the elements of uh, females and, and the male gaze in film and not thinking about the greater ramifications that his film had to feminist ideology and kind of the greater ramification of what was going on that he was so focused on kind of the in joke of the film area of cinema that that's what he was making and then it 
blew up in these other ways. And he was like, ah, oh, well, I mean, it's open to interpretation. I, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> um, Imagine being one of the executives trying to work out what the hell to do with this movie. <laughs> it's a big dumb action. Once you film. see it taking place, yeah, basically, let's just market this as a big dumb action film. But for some reason, give, uh, give Zach carte blanche on this thing. I mean, like, you know, they they seemingly requested that he cut back X, Y, and Z, but there's a hell of a lot of, of stuff in there that probably didn't need to be in the theatrical version. It would have ended up butchering it to the point where it, it's even less able to be interpreted in the way that he might want it to be. Um, but it's so troubling that watching it is going to upset people rather than making them cheer. Which obviously, you know, executives want them to cheer. Executives don't want to trouble people, especially not with a big dumb action movie. I would like to trouble people. I would like to trouble people in, in ways that make them, them question all kinds of stuff. But for God's sake, while I'm doing it, I'm going to have a very strong interpretation in my mind of what I am actually trying to say. And I'm, I welcome people disassembling uh, my work and deconstructing it and... Um, and finding new things that I hadn't intended. In fact, people have blurted stuff out when we've been doing the uh, Behind the White Scars podcast. And I've been like, I hadn't thought of that. Thank you very much. That is very smart. But I've always had a strong idea in mind of what I'm doing with every scene. And I'd like to hope that Zach did too with this. But it feels like he didn't with some. Or possibly all. Okay. So, um... The, I mean, basically, what are the samurai trenches, castle, and train? There's really not that much point reinterpreting each of these in terms of what they symbolize, because I'm not entirely sure they're. I mean, does, does anyone have any symbolism related to these, where, where which suggests even a whisper of authorial intent? As to because uh, there's so many times that Zach says on this video commentary, yeah, we just put this in here because it's cool, and you know, Lauren how I feel about that mentality. <laughs> yes. Because it's cool. Honestly, Zach, because it's cool. Because because it's cool is the enemy of interpretation. Yes. Because it basically says, no, there's nothing here. Nothing at all. And, and I definitely think that that's, I mean, that's how I see the action films. I don't think any of it was intended to be interpreted. It was all just supposed to be kind of broad references to big action films in a sense because like yeah. the the one with the dragons and the orcs vaguely is reminiscent of the action scenes from lord of the rings in a super vague way question mark question mark <laughs> the uh the zombies in the trenches is like the 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 oh, kind of o- homage to i don't i can't even think of any specific it's video games dude it's basically the amount of fucking well yeah uh, that's World every War wolfenstein shooters and yeah wolfenstein well, specifically and wolfenstein Killzone. Well, that's specifically Wolfenstein because you were literally fighting Nazi zombies. Oh, well, or, or how about it's Call well, of Duty? Well. You're literally fighting Nazi zombies. Yeah. Um, and honestly, it's funny because I, I made a note to myself while I was watching it today that I wanted to say, man, I would play this video game. <laughs> um, and then the the last piece with the robots, those robots were built to look an awful lot like robots seen in other sci-fi films like iRobot and other things like mm-hmm. – I. I definitely think that that was more what he was thinking about is like, oh, we'll just we'll just call back to this other movie in a really vague way. And that's pretty much so it's satire. 
It's not just replication, it's satire. That's the problem. Ultimately, when you do satire and you don't really know quite what you're doing, a lot of the time you just end up with replication. This smacks a little of, I know it's not the same straightforward situation of, nah, y'all just don't want to look like a complete fucking prick and y'all failed. But it's Sam Pepper going, no, I was pinching those girls' asses for, 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 for satire. <laughs> yeah. And I'm certainly not saying that he succeeded. But I'm just saying that that is what I think was going on. Yeah. Um, so we've already asked uh, uh, the, the burlesque sequence. I've already referenced that. That was the next one. Um, if you are going to interpret uh, these characters as um, facets of a whole or symbolic of anything, does Rocket symbolize anything beyond just the little sister you're supposed to be protecting? Nope. Okay. Uh, we've well, already established who <laughs> Sweet Pea is. She's the self. Um, uh, any, anything else that we want to add to Sweet Pea or Rocket? Go ahead, Sharon. Do you have any idea? Like, I, so I if, think if if Sweet Pea, right? If if Rocket is representative of a real life sister, I think she does also have an element of um, representing something that throughout the whole of the story, Sweet Pea as the self thinks she's protecting um, and thinks that by her behaviour, by prolonging Rocket's life, she is um, doing a good thing by objecting to the plan and, and trying to keep them there and trying to keep her safe. But it's Rocket who says to her very early on in the film, if we're here, we're already dead. Um, so you could say that that's the element of Sweet Pea that basically is not going along with the idea that keep your head down, keep quiet, keep safe, do what they tell you to do, and everything will be okay. Because then at the end she puts on a dress, keeps her head down, and keeps safe, and does what she's told, and everything well, indeed. apparently well, indeed. is okay. Sorry, what? Um, but, I know, I know, I'm not <laughs> Success! saying perfect interpretation. But, um, but yeah, Rocket's the one who, who seems to shake things up in every situation for Sweet Pea. She's the one who ran away, and Sweet Pea followed in order to protect her. So maybe Rocket is the element of herself that is not satisfied with the life that she had before and wanted to get out of there. Okay. Good luck with this one. Who are Blondie and Amber? So, so I was thinking about this. I, I feel like... So if Rocket is her desire to kind of shake things up and get out of the situation that she's in, in like any given point. So if we assume that Sweet Pea is like the person, the whole, the the ego, if you will, and the other four are aspects of her, we go with that interpretation. We already said that Baby Doll's her kind of her fighter survival instinct. Rocket is kind of her drive to escape normality isn't like to escape the the situation to to push forward to to move but also to possibly, break the dissatisfactory status quo there we go also yeah. possibly guilt it's it's mm. but uh i think blondie could be the representation of her desire against that her desire to kind of fall back in line because mm. she's the one who gives them up in the end, trying to make everything better and then gets killed for it because snitches get stitches. Um, and So she's her fear. Yeah, that she's the, the fear and doubt of the Why the are situation. we reviewing this before Inside Out, Sharon? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Epic fail on our part. <laughs> okay, carry on, sorry. Uh, and Amber, but, good luck. So I was going to say Amber's the, the tough one because – so in all the action sequences, she's always the she's driver. The pilot. Yeah. yeah, she's the pilot. She's the mech runner. I don't 
but I don't know what that means. Like in the in the in the burlesque world, in the asylum world, like she doesn't do all that much. She kisses she's, the neck. She's That's the only. Yeah, I was going to say she's the only one who has to actively cozy up to somebody. Well, just get throwing up. So maybe, maybe <laughs> Amber. Right. Okay. Bear with me on this one. Okay. As the pilot. Um, you the, could... Oh yes, yeah, so for folks who haven't seen it, by the way, it's during World War One. They get given a giant flying mech suit that's got a great big pink bunny on it. Mm. Well, um... <laughs> well, Jefferson, well, a, a Jefferson a airplanes white rabbit makes you larger. So, so part of me actually just loved that silly nonsense imagery, but I'm just a fan of like oh, no, no. some Wonderland first stuff. Time, first time I found it amusing, I was like, oh come on. And then, what, fifth time now? I'm just like, come on. <laughs> but again, Carry on. Sorry, I'd, sorry. I'd play that video game. But yeah, please, please. Yeah, as as the, the pilot and the, the person who's getting them to where they need to be, um, I have interpreted certain other pilots in certain other ensemble cast pieces as being the persona, the external face. The, um, the facet of yourself that has direct interaction with the outside world. So given that Amber is the only person who has to actually get physical with somebody in order for them to get what they want, I think she could be argued to be the closest thing that Sweet Pea allows herself to have as an external interactor with the actual reality. And I hope that made sense. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense, actually. Um... And especially since she's the uh, the first one to go after the accident where accident inverted commas um, where Rocket gets killed. Where Pig the Pig stabs Rocket. Yes. Um, is this again? I, I was just thinking back to uh, what Jim Sterling and um, uh, Laura have said re- uh, regarding Kojima who is a brilliant visionary. Um, like, they would have had more respect for him if he'd said regarding... Um, quiet, quiet. Is it quiet? Quiet, quiet. Yeah. Oh, just, just like looking at boobs. That's why she's wearing just very, very stringy bikinis. Um, instead, he said, no, 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 no. There's a real reason why she's dressed like this, and you guys are going to kick yourself when you find out. And then we find out the reason, and it's like, that ain't enough of a reason, guy. That, that sounds like some shit you came up with like the week after we accused you of being just a leering pervert. And um, and you're trying to legitimize it. You're trying to hide. When it actually, we would probably um, respect you a little bit more if you're just like, I just like looking at girls. Who doesn't like looking at girls? Sweet girls. Um, <laughs> whilst flicking a cigar at the time. Uh, it, it feels like Zack Snyder kind of made more trouble for himself than all this was worth. By, like, by layering on these levels, that you know, if ultimately all he really did want to do is just look at girls, because obviously it can't just be that. It can't just be that because there is loads and loads of stuff in here. It's just such a fucking mess that it's really difficult to interpret it with anything approaching a solid. Um, I can see what he did here. I mean, you, you can do it. But you gotta think about that shit, and not like because it's so clever. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> no, I like, don't. You have to. You have to kind of like blank out certain things. You have to kind of like turn your head on one side. <laughs> well, like I said before, I definitely think that he had 
an idea. Like he wanted to make it look like this and have it mean this, but then it also meant this, this, and this, and he didn't intend for that, which made it the mess that it is. Yes. Yes. Also, he he seems to have missed the stage where he realizes that if you want to say this, you can't make it look like this. No, oh, yeah. If you're going to make a satire, you can't just do the thing you're satiring yeah. and go, look, that's bad. <laughs> yes. I mean, you who? Know, <laughs> Carry on. I was going to say, in you know, Jonathan Swift's A Modest Proposal, he didn't write it while eating children. I mean, uh, <laughs> 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 okay. Oh, um, God. I, I would say, okay, right. Who is blue? So by my interpretation, he's just an odious man who likes to rape the inmates at his asylum. Uh, mm. I tell you, it was tough for me to watch Star Wars. Like, like for me to just like translate, vi- like it was easier for me. Okay, it was easier for me to watch Star Wars Episode Seven and see Oscar Isaac after Deus Ex. So is it called Deus Ex? Uh, Ex Ex Machina. Sorry. After Ex Machina, after this, and after at least one other thing in which he plays a total creep, uh, and and see him as a really kind of lovely guy, and go, oh, oh, he's actually a really good guy. That's fine. Then then going back to watching him in Sucker Punch, and going, oh god, the skin is crawling off my body. Wait, no, Poe, you're better than this. Wait, that's the same actor. Yeah. No, so I'm real bad with actors unless they're like real big names. I did not realize that the same actor played all three of those roles. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Yeah. You know what? Guys got rage. Yeah. I I also think that um, the way as written that Oscar Isaac took to blue, he added a whole shitload more because he brings new stuff to the table. He added shitloads more to Poe to the point where J.J. Abrams kept the dude alive. Yeah. He's otherwise going to die. I think that Zack Snyder sort of listened to, uh, you know, and watched his performance and went, wow, blue's really complex. And then actually somehow convinced himself that Blue was really complex because Oscar Isaac is such a fucking good actor that he tried to layer on extra stuff and make him vulnerable in some way. I don't <laughs> think Blue is vulnerable. I just think that Oscar Isaac is a great actor. I just I think Blue's the craziest guy in the asylum. But you mentioned Ex Machina, and now that I'm thinking about that, I mean, I, I also enjoyed that movie a lot more than you guys did probably. But, <laughs> um, man... That was another totally creepy role. Like again, talk about range, Jesus. Um, He's also playing Apocalypse. Oh, in, really? In the X Men movie. So look forward to that one, folks. Oh wow the uh, the recast Ivan Ooze from the Power. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I felt that especially by the end, whenever so his ver- the version of him in the brothel world and the version of him that we see. I think for a hot second in one of the action film sequences, because I think he's the courier for the Nazi zombie section. I oh, could be wrong other, for that. I just remembered the other creep. Um, he was Prince John in the crappy Russell Crowe Robin Hood. Oh, really God. Awful, awful one. Sorry, carry on. Oh, he did man. not ever go, Mama. <laughs> it would have been great if he had. Oh, my God. Carry on. Um, good reference to the Disney Robin Hood, by the way. Oh, yeah. Um, All about Robin Hood this month. <laughs> so uh, the version of him that we see in the various dreamscapes, I think, is definitely not in any way the real version. It's a version that the girls have kind of like made, whether it's Sh- collectively pimp blue. Yeah, pimp pimp blue. And I, I really think he plays the courier in the zombie Nazi sequence. 
which is pretty much neither here nor there, but uh, it's just another version of him that is not the real thing. But then when you see him again in the asylum world uh, and think that that's probably much closer to the real him, he's a fucking madman. Like he should be in the asylum, not running it. Like, holy crap. That whole, no, 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 you don't go anywhere. You're here with me. It's like, wow. No, you come back to me. Jesus Christ. Like, you. you just, ter- ter- like, uh, <sighs> male representation in this film is unfavorable. And I'm not arguing it shouldn't be. Um, it's just, it's, it's hell. This is hell. This whole movie is hell. This is like fucking, it's like, is it? Is it Jacob's Ladder? Where it's it's just hell. <laughs> I, I I don't know. I haven't seen it, but uh, uh, it's uh, I think I just spoiled Jacob's Ladder for a few people. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> so, okay, wait, hang on. Let me just say, say there's certain movies I've watched where the twist is they're actually in hell. Uh, it feels kind of like that for this. Or or, or uh, maybe something that it's not a big deal if it's spoiled, like Event Horizon, where it's just like, well, where did it go? Well, it went to hell. Of what, course. You mean like a metaphorical help? No, no, it no, literally, literally went, went to hell. To hell. A yeah. Lovecraftian, where <laughs> we're going, you won't need eyes to see. Oh, yeah. Another film oh, I love. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Okay. So, uh, so, so, so Blue is basically, is not symbolic of uh, uh, the, the worst of oppressive manhood. He's just a horrible orderly. The, well, the biggest obstacle for Sweet Pea slash the self to get by. And that would be the interpretation from, that would be how I would see it from the interpretation that these are all different girls. But, so let's, let's think for a minute and see if we can think of who he would be from the all as one representation, interpretation. Like, who could he represent? Well, by that um, it, it depends whether you're taking that argument at, or that interpretation as literally everybody is is part of the same. Oh aspect, yeah, yeah. He or could whether so. you're taking um, protagonists as all being the same aspect and antagonists all being an actual aspect of something else. Of course. Um, or sense. well, yeah, or aspects of an antagonistic environment. In which case, you you can take sort of each of the the. Uh, members of staff of the asylum as being elements of the restrictive world that this girl finds herself living in. Yeah, uh, and that makes more sense. Yeah. So basically, no matter how you look at it, he's a shitbag. Gotcha. Yeah, basically. <laughs> but in Brothel World, he's a shitbag with a weird little moustache. Yes, yes. And in Nazi Zombie World, he's a coward. So mm. it's probably all of those things combined together. Yeah, I think he's a coward in all three. Frankly, oh, easily, easily, he's just trying to overcompensate in Brothel World. Yes, and there's the nothing, giant gun. Oh my god! There's nothing more upsetting in a movie than seeing someone you desperately want to have killed, like get stabbed in the shoulder and then not killed, and then let out in chains, basically. But like you, so, you want yeah. him to get his comeuppance. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it, it's. It's. I mean, there's there's other more frustrating things, but it feels like basically somebody who shouldn't die dying when they shouldn't have to is linked with this. Mm. It's it's the flip side of that. Um, who is Gorski? That's uh, the, the the doctor, psychi- psychologist, psychiatrist. Yeah. yeah. I. Mm. She's the only female presence in the asylum that's not an inmate. Mm-hmm. So maybe she's – I mean because she was in all of the variants. So I guess there's only the Asylum version and the Brothel version. She's like 
good to the girls. She's actually like a kind uh, like force for the girls, trying to do good for them, but not really being able to in the system that she finds herself in. But beyond that, I don't. I mean, I feel like it might be a lot of the same way with Blue that she's just representing in either interpretation that we were going with an outside force that is, in her case, positive but um, impotent. Specifically, I would say um, you could see her as being um, an aspect of the environment that's been that's bought into the the rules as it were she's she does try to protect the girls and she tries to help them in what way she can but in actual fact if you look at what she's doing all she's helping them to do is integrate into the environment that they find themselves in she's not helping them um she's not helping them escape she's helping them fight and defend themselves and survive maybe on a a day-to-day or even an hour-to-hour basis but she's not helping them get away she's not helping them develop skills that they might need on the outside of all of this which basically is almost a scientology level of dismissal of medical therapy yeah, the best thing yeah. she does in the end is just blow the lid off of the fact that the documents were falsified. Yeah. When it's too late, she can get your vengeance, but she can't get you uh, yeah. like uh, absolution. Mm. Yeah. yeah, she like means well, but doesn't do well. Yeah. So I mean, it's it, it, it's kind of well, if you want to interpret it in one particular way, it's like don't bother going to see a therapist. They'll talk a big talk, but really, you're still trapped in there with your shit. Mm, yeah, and and also, I could be wrong on that, and I fucking hope I am. But that's how people could interpret it. Mm. Like, look at that baby doll went to speak to a doctor, and she couldn't help her. <laughs> what baffles me about Gorski actually is <clears throat> is at the very beginning of the film, because baby doll comes into the asylum. And she spends a lot of sessions in that little montage talking to Gorski. And she is apparently talking and she's obviously upset. There's obviously something going on. And this is all happening before the lobotomy takes place. So why doesn't she say anything in all of that time about what's actually going on? Gorski never, by the way, indicates that she knows Baby Doll at all through the sessions. What the fuck was she saying? Like, like, at no point does Gorski make an analysis of her. I think that, uh, so that montage we see whenever she first appears there is, I believe, supposed to span the full five days leading up to the lobotomy yeah. that all the rest of the events are kind of a retelling of. Yeah. And I I see all of the conversations that she has in Brothel World with the, uh, what's her name, Gorski? Yeah. yeah. Um, are emblematic is it of... Gorski or Gorska? Gorska. I, mm. Just call her G. <laughs> Dr. G. It's quicker. <laughs> um, but yeah, all of the all of the times, all the conversations that she has with the, I guess, lead dancer, dance instructor lady in the brothel world are emblematic of her one-on-one sessions with the psychiatrist in the asylum world. So those moments we see are the uh, converse, the moments we see in the montage are the conversations that they have in the brothel world which if if i'm not mistaken um baby doll doesn't say a whole lot to her in those conversations it's more baby dolls being talked at and then 
just kind of doesn't react to it too much. Wait a second, wait a second. So Baby Doll talks to Gorski, doesn't react to it very much. In Brothel World, that's Gorski telling her to dance. Or, or, and then in the other, in the, the world within that, the, the fantasy world within, no, fantasy within the false fantasy, she's fighting samurais. And in the real world, she's being raped by Blue. Yes. Uh, but no. So was, was he actually there so, while Gorski was trying to... She's like, seriously, Blue, can you wait I, five I, minutes <laughs> to rape her? Wait until she's back in her room. God, can somebody get the hose? Because yeah. apparently those two things were happening at the same time. Well, so uh, as definitely as represented by the fact that the montage takes place over those five days and everything else in the film is that time expanded, I don't think we can take the literal juxtaposition of events to be <laughs> in time. Um, so I don't think that... Gorski, that uh, you know, Gorski had a session with uh, Baby Doll where they were talking, or Gorski was talking to Baby Doll, trying to get something out of her. Baby Doll wasn't talking, and then Blue just comes in and does his, has his thing. Uh, I don't think that's necessarily the case, but I definitely think that it was a lot more Gorski talking than Baby Doll talking uh, in those sessions. Right. Alternatively, Zack Snyder had a cover version of Where Is My Mind by the Pixies sung by Emily Browning in a really soulful way. Um, and he needed to set that to a montage of footage. And he was like, right, people need to know she's a psychologist and shit. So let's have her talking to her. Yeah. That's Cause it way, looks cool. <laughs> that's way more likely. I think but. almost entirely likely dude. the <laughs> amount of fucking montages in this with just because it's cool. And because I'm telling visual story, <sighs> Sorry, again, I'm not shouting at you. I just, um, I, 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 I want to believe. I genuinely want I, to believe, Lauren, oh, that your interpretation oh. is actually closer to uh, the possibility that Zach was actually thinking, or that that it actually that there is some coherence behind this. Mm. But it, it, there is so much of a requirement for. Well, it's kind of time compression, and well, it's kind of shouldn't be interpreted literally, and well, it couldn't possibly have happened like this. But you know, there are elements of this could, could be interpreted. It's it's way too much, like I say, blocking out certain things, putting your head on one side. <laughs> well, but it's like I said before, it is the retelling of a story of events that occurred and there's always embellishment in the retelling to, yeah. to uh, paraphrase Gandalf well, in the beginning of The Hobbit. <laughs> I, I do think one uh, important facet that Gorski provides is the link between, um, for, for me anyway, for Baby Doll being an element of Sweet Pea because when you see the transitions no. um, in both... Um, uh, the the real world inverted commas opening where the curtains part and you see baby doll sitting on the bed when she gets to the asylum and Blue's explaining that you know they're going to the theatre and Blue's explaining this is where Gorski works through with the girls what they've been through Sweet Pea is sitting on the bed on the stage talking to Gorski obviously working through a very similar scenario that has happened to her and then at the end of the uh, beginning mental asylum sequence when Baby Doll's sat in the chair and the uh, lobotomy is about to start then it cuts to Sweet Pea in the chair on the stage dressed up as the, the lobotomy patient so I think she does provide that uh, that consistent link between the two suggesting that it's she's a psychologist it or a psychiatrist should i say it's a psychiatric um connection did we, you guys hear that thump just now yes that was my head on the desk i know i have figuratively hit a wall on this movie um okay. well i've still got loads of these questions left this is going into the, the podcast people need to know my fucking state of mind at this point i have 
I have never got to this point with a movie when we've been podcasting. We're just like, I don't want to talk about this anymore. <laughs> but I don't want to talk about this anymore. Let's finish anyway and carry on. But just know, <laughs> folks, that I'm doing this despite not wanting to talk about it anymore. Well, Alex, if it gets too painful, you can always regress <laughs> to a fantasy <laughs> <where you laughs> samurai in the face. Thank you. Oh boy, sleep. That's where I'm a Viking. You know what, Ralph? You just said it in three seconds. Okay, Uh, so who are the samurai, Nazis, orcs, and robots they fight? I mean, it's all just interpretations of the the various trials they're up against. Yeah, men being so horrible and misogynist to them. Um, Who is the baby dragon? That is the internal child that she has to slaughter and then kill the mother as an an aspect of that. Any other interpretations on the dragon? It just makes me sad every time I see it. I just want to pet it. It's so cute. Yeah. I want to set the dragon free. Fuck everyone else. Okay, uh, right. Here's a question. Uh, what, it, what is the knife and why do they need it? Now, we found a couple of interpretations on this. They don't really need the knife. The reason they give is in case we run into trouble. What are you going to do, girls? Because when the knife actually drops in front of which one is it? Blondie? One of them, they don't do anything about it, and that fat pig gets to stab Rocket, un, you know, as in, like, there's no threat, nothing's going on. Sharon, how did we... How, hang on. Basically, the girls can't use the knife. Eventually, Baby Doll impotently stabs um, Blue in the shoulder with it, sort of disabling him, but not actually taking him out. He is still obviously a threat, and still basically gets to carry on doing what he's doing. Um... They actually didn't need to get the knife. They went they, after they the knife. Into, they run into trouble. They went into trouble because they went to the get knife. the knife, which they don't ultimately use for. I mean, the map, they need it to get out. They use it to get out. That's useful. The fire, they use it to create a distraction and get out. They should have burned the fucking place to the ground, but that also would have killed everybody inside. That would have been a, a large loss of innocence as well. Uh, the uh, What's the other one? The key. The key, they obviously need from Blue's neck to actually open the doors to thus get them out of there. The knife is where everything goes wrong. Sharon, your interpretation? Uh, Was that if you try to utilise man-like postures, arguments, phallic symbols in order to defend yourself, it's all going to go wrong, girls. Don't worry about it. Just, you know, don't don't try to fight by trying to be like a man. You don't need to. You can't handle the cock. That is a man's province. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's one interpretation. Lauren, yours? Uh, very similar, I think. Because uh, the, the knife is very clearly kind of the mistake in their plan, like you were saying. Because they don't They've have a real They've got to get good... it from a fucking psychopath. Well, Which is, is it not weird that the cook is the only person who's exactly the same in ever, every level of reality? <laughs> <laughs> but in, in the fat, like super fantasy world when she's on the alien train, the cook just shows up and goes, hey, I'm the cook. You better not be stealing cooking chocolate. I, I feel like uh, there's just there's so little to him that they couldn't even embellish on it for the. <laughs> so, but uh, in, in my mind, it was almost like okay, well, we we want to sneak out of here. We need these subtle methods, but oh wait, we know that we also need to be prepared for violence. So maybe we should get something for that, and then that act, kind of like how how Sharon was saying, don't don't bother going with the the quote unquote masculine way. Uh, because you're not going to do it. I, I very, like I said, a very similar kind of interpretation, but a little less patronizing, maybe, where it was more like, 
they think, okay, we need this in case, like, just because we need it. Like, we we know we, we need something for violence because that's how this works. And uh, when they try to get it, that's when everything falls apart. That's when Rocket dies. That's when Blondie breaks and, and ultimately dies. That's when Amber gets killed. Like, boom, 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 boom. It all goes back to the fact that they didn't need the knife, but they went for it anyway, kind of just assuming that it needed to be a part of the plan. It's almost more like, um, I would say, kind of a subtle enculturation of the necessity of violence for getting out of a bad situation being an, a pervasive element and that bleeding through in that way where they, it's just this is how you do things this is how you get out of a bad situation especially in our culture especially at the time um especially now too jesus look at the you know random shootings in the united states uh that it's it's just it's very kind of emblematic of the enculturation around that that we must prepare for violence because that is what you do so we prepare for violence but that is not good because we should have gone along with the other elements of the plan that we came up with not the one that was interjected by the outside force if that makes any sense i don't know if i expressed that real well yeah no no i think that's um that's logical Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, the next question here, um, I've got a couple we've already answered. Uh, who is the old man? Who, who is Baby Doll, really? And what really happened that we didn't see? I think we all covered that at the, uh, the beginning. Uh, who are the chef, the pimp, and the high roller? No more subtleties to that that I've missed, are there? The pimp being um, the mayor. The mayor. Yeah. The mayor. Yeah. Oof. I mean, if you want to make people look like absolute douchebags, just put that Queen remix over them walking around in slow motion. Like, basically, like, get the guys from Entourage in slow motion to that. Oh Make them God. even worse. Kneel and crawl when you approach me. I got big bucks because I'm bigger than all the universe and its stars. I can buy your life whatever it costs. Name your price. Give me what I need to get lost. I can buy the blue from the sky. I'm a rich hog. Give me it now. I'm not the guy you want to piss off. By any means, I get what I want and I want it all. I understand blues music, you know? It's wonderful. A story of a people's disenfranchisement. I ain't got nothing and they're taking that away too. I haven't even got a guitar. I'm still my fucking belly button here. <laughs> Wonderful names, all those guys, you know, Blind Dead McJones. But um, with rap, it's not like that. It's all about what people have got, about attainment. You know, it's very aggressive. So you got pecs, I got limos, I got bitches. My limo's powered by bitch juice and all my spare pecs are in the limo. They, they, they never say anything nice. Ever. It's always, I'm gonna fuck you up, I'm gonna dig up your dad and shove him up your mum and drink your blood from a drinking cup, you fuck. What is the, where is the dignity in that? What happens to these people when they get old? I hope there's a retirement home for them with some huge burly nurse going around saying, it's time for your enema, Eminem. <laughs> Leave Peter these biscuits alone. Don't do that again. It's such infantile mentality. You know, you go up to any five-year-old and say, what do you think of the world? And they'll go, I think it's rubbish, I think it's rubbish, because I can't get stuff I want. When I want it, I want a big purple chair and, and french fries and stuff. And I want it, and like, yeah, now. That's a rap song. Because that's what they all think. These guys get millions of dollars for this horseshit. 
and they immediately go out and spend it all on a floor-length white mink coat, cheeseburgers and a jet. I, I think you could say that if blue is the aspect of... Um, uh, of... of so male power, patriarchal power, power within this structure of um, sexual aggression. Uh, the mayor is the power of politics and money. And um, the high roller is the power of um, uh, general community respect and medical authority. And, and, and the chef is raw physical desire. Yeah, or, or raw physical strength, as it were. He doesn't, whereas yeah. Blue needs his, his lackeys to help with the physical um, manhandling the girls around um, because he's not a big, massive guy. The cook doesn't need that because he is a big person and he can... As long as it's just a one-on-one -on -one situation, he can take them out without any argument. And they're yeah. all rapists in different ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And they're all kind of a different representation of kind of the almost the straw man of what you know the the patriarchy has control of. Like you were saying, the politics, the like the the medical field, like the intellectual field, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. um, and the physical realm. It's just like these are all the ways that men are you know superior to women in the culture and they're all odious rapist bastards like ultimately and the stepfather is the father and religion as well oh and religion yes uh, it's all coming together yeah. okay uh, sorry alex go uh, the, the, you can tell a story about i mean since rape is especially in almost all of these scenarios non-sexual but uh symbolic and rape is all about the power of keeping women down uh you can tell this story without any sex whatsoever. That's the thing. I mean, ultimately, that you, it is his choice to sexualize it. Uh, now that that basically leads me to my uh, my my final question. Well, you know, there's there's two actually. One, and this is a big one, which ultimately I believe we've either completely answered or there's a bit more in it. How much does this fail and succeed as a feminist text? Well, if well, f a lot of feminists hate it. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, in, in which case it's failed. I think it's uh, it's really difficult to answer that question without genuinely knowing what Zack Snyder's intentions were, and the commentary really does not give enough information um, to suggest that that's what he was driving at. The way it comes across in the commentary, and I think this is one of the things that I found so frustrating about it, is that. The elements of it that could be interpreted as being part of a feminist text, he's kind of stumbled upon almost by accident yeah. and then tried to expand upon. But the problem is that with that being the case, there's all this other stuff that's incredibly problematic and really doesn't fit with that particular direction. It would be kind of like the makers of episode eight, capitalising on the Finn and Poe gay relationship that is blossoming out of fan theory and fan art and going, yeah, we interpret, we always intended this to be the case. And here is a really clumsy gay relationship where suddenly now one of them is a screaming queen, at least one of them. And they're like, yeah, this is what gay men are like. No, 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 no. Go back, go back, go back. It was better when it was subtle ish. <laughs> and it was better when it was down to the interpretation of the actors. Um, and just the idea that 
handled badly, sudden realizing that you've got more on your hands can be really dangerous. Yeah. So like I said before, I wouldn't necessarily ever call this a feminist film. It's definitely misandrist. It's definitely anti-meninist in that respect. Um, but I, again, I think, I think it's too muddied and I don't think it was his intention to bleed into any kind of feminist read for it, but it's definitely there just unintentional, if that makes sense. Mm. So it's kind of like a big guy going out, punching and breaking the noses of a bunch of woman haters, and then speaking to a bunch of feminists and going, there, you happy? Yeah, like Um... attacking attacking men for being shit isn't feminist, (laughs) is what it comes down to. And I mean, honestly. Especially if you're a guy. Because if you go back to even Watchmen, like, that's all about kind of the impotence of male fantasy. Like, all of the men in Watchmen are fucked up and broken in some way they're all supposed to be heroes but they're sociopaths completely in uh, impotent just like the worst kind of people and in here they're just even worse because you also add the sexual element to it and i just don't think that you can ever say like okay yeah this film is terrible towards men it has something to say about the male gaze and just men in general but i don't but that does not a feminist piece make? Mm-hmm. I think as well, it's um, the the layers of what people want to take from something makes it very difficult to to say again without the intent being completely that, um, which a lot of the time will give you a very one dimensional um, film is that there's elements that can be taken from it to use for that argument. But it swings back the other way. Also, if you want to go back to my earlier thing, if this was about race rather than gender, uh, it would be like making a film wherein all Americans are super racists. All Americans. There is a deep streak of racism that runs through the heart of America, but that sure is shit doesn't mean that all Americans are super racist. But in Sucker Punch's reality, all men, aside from this one fucking bus driver, are super <laughs> sexist. Man, I, I very nearly said not all men and wanted to kill myself. For <laughs> not all men. Not it's all a, Americans. It's actually interesting because uh, I would interpret this, if this came out today, this would be like an anti-Gamergate piece more than feminist in the same sense that misan- uh, misogynist actions don't make you a quote-unquote meninist. You know what I mean? Like That's not a real thing because <laughs> give me a break. But that's <laughs> it's how – It's an English dictionary yet, by the way. Well, LOL is so who gives a fire? I mean, <laughs> so but, – but you know what I mean? Like attacking women and then trying to say, oh, no, no, no. We're totally like feminists, but the other side, that's why we're doing this. We don't hate women, even though you clearly do. This clearly hates men. <laughs> and, and you know, if you're trying to say, well, that makes it pro-women, then I think there's just more wrong there in our society than anything so, else. So it's it not hates, a dichotomy. So it hates men and doesn't understand women. Yeah. Wow. And that might make – maybe it's just Zack Snyder. And the hands of the DC <laughs> universe – on the silver screen or in the hands of this man. So it fails on every count, basically. So the history, the future of the DC universe rests upon 
the hands of this man. Well, no, if the in- if the intention was to be misandrist, it certainly succeeded. <laughs> it just didn't have any point to is, it beyond that. The thing is, though, do you get to be misandrist and then put a postscript in that says, but not me? Not all men. Yeah, no, no, oh it's, it's not even it's not even not all men, is it? But not it's me. just not this specific man. Yeah, and then if, I'm of course, okay. if, you, if you read that as being the self-insert character of Zack Snyder, then Jesus, that is very narcissistic. <laughs> it's insane. Yeah. He needs Pretty to be in a much. much nicer loony bin than this. <laughs> yeah, right? Okay, theory. This film does not need to exist because Pan's Labyrinth tells the same story beyond beautifully. Did so in 2006 and without that same confusion. And now that Mad Max Fury Road exists, Sucker Punch almost certainly should never have existed. Explain. Or discuss. <laughs> well, I, I would disagree to that because I still like Sucker Punch as this interpretation and uh, embellishment of a story of one girl's escape, which is why I keep going back to that interpretation. I tr- I'm almost trying not to read more into it because as soon as you do that, it all falls apart and it makes no sense. Mm-hmm. So like it, just sticking with the parts to me that make sense, it's an, it's an interesting, uh, what's that called where uh, it's like a film taken from multiple points of view so, all, like, everything, like, it doesn't always make sense. It's a, uh, Rashmaninoff. With Matthew Fox. Isn't it, like, Rashmaninoff or something like that? That was composed. I can't remember. But the, <laughs> the idea... So, my, my... So, okay. There's an episode of The X-Files from season three where it is told from many different points of view, and the stories told are embellished and contradict each other. And that's the kind of thing I see going on here, where there are points going on that are somewhat contradictive, but it's all being told from the same person, but it's such a harrowing tale that the embellishments are so complex trying to relate it that it just becomes this ridiculous narrative to try to read anything more into. Now, it's not a big dumb action film because there's definitely more going on. It is a complex narrative of this one woman's escape uh, at, you know, with the help of others and it's, it's very sad in that respect, but that's how I interpret it because that's the only way it makes any kind of sense. Because <laughs> um, as soon as you start digging into it deeper, as I think we've shown in the past two hours, it gets very messy and very odd because of the inconsistencies in the various interlinking narratives. Uh, okay, my reason for wishing that it didn't exist is actually a meta reason, uh, as my reasons frequently are. Um, okay, uh, Zack Snyder directed uh, the Dawn of the Dead remake. Okay, competent, fast zombie movie came out around about the same time as Shaun of the Dead, so it was like just about the same time that zombies suddenly became comically unfunny. Well, sorry, comically funny and thus not scary at all. Snyder made them scary. Also came out around about the same time that the far superior. 28 Days Later, uh, so Danny Boyle just, you know, directed him out of the park. But either way, competent remake, I still prefer it to the uh, the uh, original. Although there's some bits that I really, really find unpleasant and objectionable. <clears throat> However, get down with the sickness. Then 300, <laughs> 300 is, is doing his best with the work of a fascist um, and, and a mangling... Um, 
history. And it's a it's actually a really good uh, graphic novel interpretation, uh, same same as Watchmen, and um, it had a huge huge cultural effect, and it, that that effect is still being felt. Uh, it's in video games, it's in blockbuster movies, it's fucking everywhere, and it you know. I, I think that te- you know technically 300 is what it is, and he kind of deserves the recognition and the damning for, for both, in in equal measure. Uh, Watchmen I prefer to the uh, um, Alan Moore original. I don't find it an altogether pleasant story, uh, but uh, it's 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 watchable. Legend of the Ga- Guardians: Owls of Gahul is a film about owls, and it's really confusing that like suddenly the director of 300 is doing this and it's kind of like oh okay so this is kind of more of a personal thing to you i found the film dull but at least you know it's taking it's anthropomorphing owls and taking them seriously so for that he should be commended uh for at least you know attempting something outside of his normal comfort zone and sucker punch comes along after watchmen one of the most expensive r-rated films of all time didn't make back nearly enough money that it needed to to um to really make R-rated blockbusters. Because this was the great white hope for R-rated blockbusters. Now it's all PG-13. Anything which is an R has got a considerably reduced budget. They were toying with the idea of high-budget R-rated back in those days, but not anymore. Um, And yes, as you guessed, we recorded this episode a few short weeks before Deadpool came out. What a difference a successful Valentine's Day weekend can make in the landscape of blockbuster cinema as a reward for watchmen in the same way that um i mean this has been like sort of oh well this is all just rubbish of course but the idea of as a reward for the dark knight christopher nolan got to direct inception which in itself is not entirely dissimilar in c- considering the, re- the 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 uh, layers of reality that it handles i think chipman said that as well to sucker punch uh, the idea being that uh, you know because uh, he got them well over a billion dollars that Nolan was allowed to do this slightly more esoteric blockbuster and actually managed to make, you know, this really, really smart film a huge money earner. Um, <clears throat> it's, it's, it's not as smart as it seems. Zack's equivalent is Sucker Punch, and it's a fucking failure. And we've already discussed why. Um, it, it, it cost 82 million, it made 89 million. That's a fucking failure. And as a result, Warner Brothers, rather than going right, you did an owl film and you did Sucker Punch and you did Watchmen, but several years ago, 300 came in way under, you know, that your budget was good and your takings were fantastic. After that fucking triple whammy of, mm, a little bit disappointing, kind of, you know, Legends of Gahul cost 80 million, made 140 million, so still not a massive, 140 million is not much for an animated film. Then he made Sucker Punch. And two years later, his reward is to be given the biggest fucking property on the planet. Man of Steel. And basically the keys to the kingdom of DC. And if Sucker Punch didn't exist, I could sort of understand that more. I could sort of understand Watchmen. Let's jump over Legends of the Guardians and just look at Watchmen as what we kind of want the DC universe to be. But it required Warner Brothers to look at Sucker Punch and go, let's pretend that didn't happen. And that is troubling to me. End of rant. (laughs) (laughs) Because basically, he's going to go on. And no one's going to mention the fact that Sucker Punch exists, aside from the fact that when people are sort of like debating Sucker Punch, like in a very specifically about Sucker Punch way. 
Um, but it's it's a window into Zack Snyder's psyche more than any of his other films. Because he was given, like I say, carte blanche with this one. He wasn't constrained by adaptation. This was his baby. So what you're saying is the reason you don't want Sucker Punch to exist is you still had hope for the DC movies <laughs> until now. My goodness, I think that might be... A, no. There might be another flaw there. <laughs> no, no, no. I, 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 um, basically, <laughs> after Sucker Punch, I was very kind of... Uh, uh, about Man of Steel. Then, you know, we've heard what Man of... You know, we, we thought about Man of Steel. Um, I still... You know, there, there are elements about the film that I like, but uh, overall, I find um, it really kind of boring to watch again. Overall, I find Watchmen kind of boring to watch again. Sucker Punch, boring to watch again. 300, Dawn of the Dead. And it's making me realize that Zack Snyder, for me, is a boring director. Um, and that's even more troubling. <laughs> I mean, but the, basically, an entire wing of comics is, is under the stylistic guidelines of somebody I find boring, obnoxious, and who does things because they're cool. It, he's, he is nowhere near as bad as Michael Bay, because he's trying to do something. And I feel like Michael Bay is, uh, you know, by and large, is trying to hit um, tick boxes for an audience he despises. I don't think Zack Snyder despises his audiences. I, I, don't, I, I think he finds, clearly, he finds uh, misandrists to be contemptible. And fucking who wouldn't? He's a man I don't think I'd really trust with... Mirage comics or Malibu comics or fucking Spawn. I might trust him with Spawn. <laughs> you know what? In fact, We Hate Movies said this. He should be doing Spawn. That I would completely get behind because he could do a comic accurate Spawn and maybe even move that ahead. But DC, God no. And here is a really great reason why. Another end of rent. <laughs> Sharon, and, uh, do you want to address the whole Pan's Labyrinth Mad Max thing and that this shouldn't actually have been made or do you think it should have been made? It's very rare that I, I start making arguments that pieces of media shouldn't exist because ultimately it's it's up to the audience and the, the, the way I see it, the more they have to pick and choose. But that's the thing, Sharon. I just said, the audience spoke and went, oh, well, we don't yeah, like this. And then they went to see Man of Steel and went, oh, we don't like this. And Water Brothers went, yeah. This is our guy. Okay. This is our but, guy. But this film shouldn't have been made is a slightly different argument than people should stop putting large budgets in Zack Snyder's hands. <laughs> um, you know, that, that's there's, there's a different reason in there for, for why, you know, they're not making great book because the audience is not wildly keen. In terms of the, the content being out there for people to watch if they choose to and interpret how they choose to, I, there's there's very little that I would want to take out of the um, analytical pool, shall we say? Um, I mean, I think it it certainly, if if you were clinging to this as your uh, female empowerment um, piece, then I think yeah, the presence of, of Fury Road probably gives you everything that Sucker Punch half gave you and then half took away again um, but I don't think that necessarily means that in retrospect it shouldn't have existed maybe, maybe it no longer needs to exist how about that 
<laughs> well, the thing is, though, if, if Sucker Punch didn't exist, he'd still probably be in charge of the DC stuff because of Watchmen, like you said, but we just wouldn't know him <laughs> as well. You're right. It's like a, it's, it's a little peek into his mind, but... <laughs> so, I mean, I, I can appreciate the idea that we probably didn't want to pull back that curtain to be, you know, to yeah. mix metaphors, but I still, I, I appreciate that it is that kind of a look into... Uh, a, somebody's mind like this uh, it might be uncomfortable, it might be unfortunate it's certainly a mess but uh, I still appreciate that it exists for at least that purpose it's certainly not making all the money that Pan's Labyrinth should have made, Pan's Labyrinth made uh, 83 million and uh, Sucker Punch made 89 million so really there's not that much in it and then they came out so far apart and uh, I strongly suspect yeah. the overlap of audiences is extremely small. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> I have tickets for a wonderful show in the West End. As long as it doesn't have subtitles. Subtitles, no. Whoa! What's got subtitles? This thing she's bringing us to. Subtitles? Oh, God. I can't read while I'm also trying to see things. No, no, it's a show. It's a show. There's no subtitles. I hate subtitles. <laughs> uh, and, and I mean, and I think that Pan's Labyrinth should have made eight times as much money because then God, he, yes. Del Toro would have then gone on to actually get to make The Mountains of Madness, which is the movie I want him to make so much. And then people would go, you know... For, you know, from the maker of Pan's Labyrinth, Hellboy 2, and then that would have had a huge turnout, and then Hellboy 3 would have happened years ago. <sighs> God, I love Guillermo del Toro. Why are we reviewing Sucker Punch before anything by Guillermo del Toro, Seven Pacific Rim? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Have you guys ever seen The Devil's Backbone, one of his yeah. films? Holy what? crap, that's like one of my favorite horror films. We, we own Ooh. all of his films, oh, except we don't own Mimic. I've only ever seen it once, and I don't think Sharon's <laughs> ever seen it. I'm, I'm going to remedy that. We don't own Mimic, and I've never seen Mimic, because you keep telling me it's awful. It is awful. But um, I'm going to get the director's cut. and give. To, the other thing is, it's actually worth owning even Guillermo's bad films, because if he does a commentary on the disc, that's worth the price of entry that's alone. That's He's a fucking scholar. He is a fascinating listener. Oh, what a lovely warm thought to end on after all of this lobotomy. (laughs) Okay, so I mean, I'm not, obviously, it's, it's it's a hypothetical, I'm not arguing this film should never have existed. I kind of, it's more a case of I just didn't want to know this about Zack Snyder. Yeah. I can't, don't see it, damn it. it. Now you can't unknow it. I I just, I kind of wish that, um... You know, we're, we're, I'm, I will be putting this out just before Batman vs. Superman, topically, you know? So <laughs> just as a sort of, uh, we, we have to talk about Zack kind of way. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, uh, there is always hope, as Aragorn said. Um, and, you know, but, but um, this is a film that, uh, that clearly warrants discussion. And to, to that end, it's it's a fuck ton more valid than any number of pointless action films. It's it's an action film with a point. It's just that the point is buried, and it's it's buried well enough that the average person would go big dumb fun. If you said big dumb fun, folks, how do you listen to our podcast? Yeah. <laughs> Alex, are you saying that Sucker Punch is better than all of the Expendables films? Is that what you just said? Hmm. Or at least worthy of existence. I prefer Expendables 3 to Sucker Punch. 
Um, and in terms of more worthy of existence, no, I think like the idea of getting all of these heroes together like, on screen in one go was kind of an achievement. It's they're not good films. No. <laughs> um, but like you know, it'd be like, oh, have you ever wanted to see so and so fight Van Dam? I can't remember who he fought. Probably, yeah, he fought Stallone. Um, and 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 yeah, you get that fight. Um, so I suppose it's probably just there catering to fans of 80s movies in a way that Sucker Punch doesn't really cater to fans of much. Yeah, really. It doesn't really cater to not, anyone. Not wholly. That's the thing. You could be a fan of one of the aspects of Sucker Punch. Maybe two. <laughs> and it will deliver in spades. But it'll also deliver a whole bunch of stuff you didn't want. Which maybe that's the Sucker Punch. Where like, you go in wanting delivery, to... Strawberries. Okay. And cheese, okay. And here's your pornography. I, I did not ask for the pornography. <laughs> and and here's your crate of angry bees. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, the beekeeper down the road's like, God damn it, I've just got chocolate sauce. What the hell? I didn't order this. Um, incidentally, regarding the Expendables, Chuck Norris. Yeah, and? He's not in any of them, is he? Yeah, he's in like the. Uh, they keep making a big deal about the fact that he keeps turning up, and it's like. Oh, okay. He's in the third one. Also, oh, okay. Maybe I, I need to see them again. <laughs> we're gonna review them. What happened we were going to review them. We watched all three back to back over the course of a few nights and went. <coughs> eh. <laughs> and we just didn't. <sighs> what did we review? Did we review? <laughs> I can't remember we anymore. It. If we did, it's we've back. recorded so many podcasts that haven't been released yet. I've forgotten what we've done. <laughs> okay, let's stop this now, please. For the love of God, it's been two and a half hours. We talked. We talked about Snow White and the Seven Dwarves for seventeen minutes. <laughs> we talked about Robin Hood, the Disney Fox version, for ten minutes. That's disgusting. That is Relative a travesty. two and a half hours of this. <laughs> I mean, it also wasn't like densely full of trying to be in feminist. Yeah. But it warrants better than that. Come on. <sighs> okay. Right, yeah, let's let's finish there. And I don't know what we're doing next week because you're listening to these completely out of order. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, um, okay, we're going to leave you on the thought, folks, that this is a film we really did not want to review, but we wanted to have had reviewed, if that makes any sense. Kind of like going to get a tetanus shot. <laughs> or it'd be a lobotomy. <laughs> mm. uh, so if I got a lobotomy now, would it take away all memories of Sucker Punch? Well, you'd have no, to get a... wouldn't care. You'd have to get a specialist. They'd have to really know what part of your brain. I have to have sex with John Ham. Because <laughs> you know, uh, I, you know, it, it, you know what, you know what, I would have sex with John Ham if it would take away the memory of Sucker Punch. There, I said it. <laughs> and I'm sure a lot of people out there are nodding to themselves. <laughs> okay. Amusingly, even after all of this, I still uh, out of I think all of the films that you mentioned that Zack Snyder did, with the exception of Watchmen, because I actually really like Watchmen. It's uncomfortable, and man, you can't watch the full black version because that is like four and a half hours. But uh, I still really like that one. But all the other ones, I still think I like Sucker Punch mo- more than the rest. Even Three Hundred. Three Hundred gets a little bit worse with every time I see it. Uh, as was apparent by your your vehement defense of it throughout this, <laughs> yeah, 
Given, Lauren, that there is one of you and two of us, may I just say massive respect yes. for the job you Rather. did of, of oh. fighting that corner. Now, fight. <laughs> well, speaking of which, little details. The You know that sword, the Hattori Hanzo sword she gets given? It has the story of Sucker Punch etched into it, ending yeah. in a, a, um, a, 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 a spike going through a skull. They never showed close-ups of it because they didn't want to spoil the end. But um, I don't think it then was. Then what is the point? <clears throat> and the other thing is that when she gets offered the gun, it's the same fucking model as the one she used to shoot her sister. Her and she, sister. Doesn't, she doesn't react in any way. There's not even a sort of slight note of misgiving. And it's like, it could be that Zack's like, yeah, and she just grabs it because, you know, this is her tool of thing. Or it could just be that Zack didn't even fucking think. Hang on a second. Sorry, 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 Emily. Um... I've just realised this is the same model as used to kill your sister. Obviously, it's a different it's a different gun. It's fancied up, um, but surely you know. Let's let's let baby doll take it in a more trepidatious manner to the sword, just to give you that flicker of memory. There isn't that level of subtlety in there. They spent fucking god knows how much time etching the story into the blade of a sword, but didn't think to themselves, you know what? When someone's accidentally killed their sister with a gun, they might not like guns. And you do realize how you have to end this episode, right? Um, I think we're probably. I mean, yeah, no, no. I'm just, I'm just saying, like, given, given the film, are given you everything say else. Roxy music. No, 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 no. I was going to say, oh, and one more thing, and then just quote one of the random things that the wise oh, man says. One more thing. Because <laughs> that's if like you go says, into school with big boots on. Don't be surprised if you trip over. Yeah, well, it's almost it would almost be a good response to what Sharon had said about like, you know, oh, you fought really well for, for your side where it's like, oh, and one more thing for those who fight for it. Life has a flavor. The sheltered will never know. Because it's just <laughs> nonsense, but it's still the wild. one that really got me was the never write a check with your mouth that you, you can't you cash, cash with your ass. ass. What the That's, hell? I mean, I kind of understand your mouth writing checks your ass can't cash. That kind of makes sense. But what he's basically saying to them is, once you've said you're going to use your ass to do something, you've got to do it. What What's great is after he says that one, like after he says all the rest of them, whoever he's saying it to is just kind of like, oh, yeah, OK, that's good. But after he says that one, there's kind of a look between a couple of the girls like, what the hell did he just say? Yeah. It's basically like um, Mr. Miyagi and the Karate Kid chewing out a frat boy nugget. It is true, daniel son. He who smelt it, dealt it. <laughs> <laughs> Whoever said the rhyme, done the crime. I'm sorry, daniel son. I'll stop making them when you stop laughing. But yeah, no, actually, Bjork Army of Me is my favorite of all of them. Anyway, right, so I think we're going to finish on that because we can't, we can't finish on Roxy Music because that's another sour note. Once you've had the lobotomy and the tragedy and the bittersweet but mostly bitter ending, it then cuts to, uh, like, to the song that, was, that would have made sense earlier in the film, but at the end of the film, it, it's so tonally out of place. It's just like, like you, you can end that film on, on sadness. You can end that film on anger, but to end that film on, Hey, seems so wrong. 
And I think that kind of was maybe pressure from the execs to like, we've got to leave people feeling happy. And so Zach was like, look, I got this deleted scene you made me take out because it was too sexy. Uh, because, you know, that, it's very much a Moulin Rouge scene. You know, a lot of, lot of stockings, you know, that sort of stuff. And it, it always leaves me going, ah, no, or like turning off before it gets to that. Because you know, the other thing is, they're rubbing blue in your face again. They're going, look, blue's still alive, he's having fun. In whatever reality this is. Because as far as we're concerned, this is happening post-script. After he's been dragged away. Maybe this is his internal... <laughs> Maybe it is his interpretation, Sharon. Maybe he's gone to his happy place. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. One last very important thing. Okay, to address the whole fourth nascent wave of feminism thing, we never actually defined the first three, so I'm just going to let Sharon do that. Give me a second. As summarised on Wikipedia, the history of the modern Western feminist movement is divided, in, divided into three waves. Each wave deals with different aspects of the same feminist issues. The first wave comprised women's suffrage movements of the 19th and early 20th centuries, promoting women's rights to vote. The second wave was associated with the ideas and actions of the women's liberation movement beginning in the 1960s. The second wave campaigned for legal and social equality for women. The third wave is a continuation of and a reaction to the perceived failures of second wave feminism beginning in the 1990s. Third wave feminism distinguished itself from the second wave around issues of sexuality, challenging female heterosexuality and celebrating sexuality as a means of female empowerment. It also seeks to challenge or avoid what it deems the second wave's essentialist definitions of femininity, which they argue overemphasise the experience of upper middle class white women. Now, Bob's theory was that uh, the reason only Sweet Pea gets away is that third wave feminism failed to give her the chance to carry on and move forwards. Um, so when Scott Glenn says to her, you have all the tools you need, now fight, it kind of rings hollow because the whole point is she's standing on the ashes of third wave feminism and she doesn't have much left. What does she have left? Like, her fear is gone, that was Blondie, that was killed. Her fight has gone. The, the thing she was protecting is gone. You know, the, the, does she have all the tools she needs? I got, I got, here is one way to fix the ending of Sucker Punch, guys. If, if you want it to symbolize something. Uh, he says you have all the, the tools you need, and then she looks around and finds that the other four girls are with her because what they represent is unkillable. Now fight.
Yeah, okay, I think I think we're done. This is far, far longer than this film probably deserves. But ultimately, it's how long this film fucking took, you know, to, to get out, to get finished talking about. And uh, thank you very, very much, Lauren, for, like I said, coming on and, and uh, um, going up against me at my most irascible. <laughs> Always a pleasure. Don't worry about it. No, oh, thank you. Um, I'm sorry, folks, if this has been an unpleasant one to listen to. But all you had to do was sit and listen. Yours was a passive experience. <laughs> I had to play through this shit. I had to interpret this shit. And Sharon, thank you very much for coming on and, uh, and again, like being more um what's the word rascable if you were irascible <laughs> yes being more rascible than i being more presentable than i what can i say it's my skill yeah okay uh let, let's just i think we're done folks thank you this is bjork army of me oh hang on before we go lauren where can folks find you Oh, you can uh, find me chattering with my good friends Ian Hopwood and Laura Kate over at Year of Steam at Podbean. You can find it on iTunes or wherever you get podcast, wherever podcasts are sold or downloaded. Uh, we talk about random Steam games that we play as we're slowly working through our ridiculous back catalogs. And our back catalogs never seem to get any smaller. But uh, this... Well, I don't know when this podcast is going out, so I have no way of saying what the games we're going to be talking about is. But we're in our second year, and uh, it's a lot of fun. Uh, also, on to note that it's now at 2 hours 46. We spent 60 times as long as Feminist Frequency did on this movie. So please, give us money on our Patreon to the tune of 60 times as much as Feminist Frequency are receiving right now. <laughs> but but feminist frequency also gets a heck of a lot of hate. I don't think you want that also multiplied by that I mean, jeez. Oh, feminist frequency gets six trillion times the hate we do. Jesus Christ, um, we get almost no hate, and for that, I'm very very grateful because we actually have quite a lovely audience. Um, and uh, I'm sorry if I in any way insulted people who thought that this was just big dumb fun. Uh, as you may have noticed after we finished our nearly three hour podcast. It's not. <laughs> this is Bjork, Army of Me, the Sucker Punch remix. I've been Alex Shaw. I've been Sharon Shaw. And school's out. School's out.